BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is All Things Elite. Welcome back to All Things Elite. Load up the pod, man, the song when we speak. Rich right here, let me warm it up for Austin and Floyd. Couldn't be no one but the boys. When it come to All Things Elite from the fan perspective, swear, man, it ain't no question. Hear from them first. Swear, man, they putting in the work. No, they had to get me for the verse. Social suplex network zone. I was at a time in your headphones. Austin and Floyd on the microphone. Backing out on the red, getting in the zone. Pulling up the show, give it seven stars, you already know. Who else could it be but the show with the proclivity for a positivity? I'm gone. Welcome, everyone, to episode 221 of Social Suplex's podcast about AEW with a proclivity for positivity. Welcome to All Things Elite. I am Floyd Johnson, and as I announced last week, joining me this week, hot from Japan. This, you know, he's I think it's less than a week at this point. A hot from Japan is Mr. J.R. Perez. How you doing today, Jr.? I am hanging in there. Uh, yes, I've been back from Japan for about um, nine days. The struggle is real, though. Jet lag, fatigue, exhaustion uh, is real, and it kind of lowered my immune system where I got a, got a little sick. Um, and, uh, I'm like barely recovering after, after about five days of feeling it after I came back from, from Japan, my sleep, I, my sleep's finally getting back on track. I feel like, cause I tell you, man, being 17 hours, 17 hour time difference is no joke. I'm the most I did was nine when I went to uh, Paris in 2022, but 17 hours, that is a that's that's a different ball game. Yeah, that's a strong amount of time. And uh, as I stated on the last show, we're going to be talking. Pretty much, we're going to end this show. The last segment of the show is going to be Jr.'s trip to Japan. Uh, it was wrestling. AEW wrestlers were on Wrestle Kingdom, but you know it's uh it's a bucket list trip for me. So whenever somebody likes to get back from Japan, I like to listen to the show and find out what they are. So. 
Hopefully, some of you are interested in JR's experience. It won't just be wrestling. It'll be his whole trip to Japan. So, But we're going to do all the AEW stuff first. So if you really have zero interest in listening to JR, which I, I honestly, I've heard a lot of what he's going to say through the week and stuff. And I actually think it's pretty interesting, the contrast from America to Japan. So I think you will, you'll enjoy it. But if you don't, we'll do all the AEW stuff and, you know, you can back out before then so if that's the case but uh keep listening i think you should uh stay on for the whole show but if not i want to definitely give you the option so before we get into the show <laughs> we want to make sure you're downloading this fine show on google or apple podcast please leave a rating and review if you're so inclined you can follow us at at elite pod at social suplex you can follow my usual host austin who just got back from orlando so he's resting at Austin Sumowitz, that's S-Z-U-M-O-W-I-C-Z on Twitter. And in my AM name, personal account is at Floyd Johnson Jr. Uh, on Twitter. You can follow all of this. Uh, Mr. Lucha Professor, would you like to give your Twitter details or do you not want anyone following you? It's up to you. Oh, my, uh, <laughs> I'm actually at TGIF Professor. Um, it's a quick note, like I'm big into nostalgia, so me and my wife have been uh, reliving TGIF Fridays from my childhood, where every Friday we watch shows like Family Matters and Boy Me Troll step by step. So that's what the name is. Um, be feel free to follow me there, and you'll see some nostalgia stuff and throw in some wrestling every now and then. Yes, yeah, Jr. is definitely like I I travel for wrestling. JR travels and then he happens to see wrestling while he's there. So that is, that is the distinction between me and him. He's an avid traveler, you know, and if he can throw in wrestling, UFC, whatever kind of event while he's there, that's great. But like he's two birds and one stone. Me, I travel for wrestling. So literally. yeah, my new, my new uh, goal in life, if I can be able to accomplish this is I have been, you know, obviously being from the United States, uh, I have seen a show, shows in America, and I've seen a show in Canada, traveled to Europe, I've seen uh, wrestling and UFC in uh, London, in, which is in Europe, obviously, and then now coming back from Japan, I have seen a wrestling show and an MMA show in Japan, which is in the continent of Asia. So my new goal is to try to see some type of show in South America africa and australia the six habitable continents in the world so i can be like i've traveled the world and seen events but yes i try to accomplish both because i want to maximize my dollars being a poor uh civil servant that uh, is a lifelong educator so we need a king of the indies match we need matt cardona versus joey janela be the first wrestling match in antarctica Oh man, I'm there. Live on Fight TV. Let's go. Or Triller TV. I don't know what it's called now. Uh but um yeah, that's what we should do. <laughs> now um so yeah, let's look in the show big news of the week. And this big news literally broke less than two hours ago. Me and JR were on the phone and I was like, Oh, the, we got a new big news of the week. Um the big news of the week is kind of sort of AEW related. I mean, we don't know exactly how AEW related it is at this point. Well, I I had a feeling it's AEW related. Kazuchika Okada is leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling at the end of his contract, which is January 31st, 2024. Honestly, I... 
I mean, in essence, this is like Roman leaving WWE. <laughs> you know, this is Cody leaving AEW. This is this is the pretty much. I don't. I don't know what uh, uh, any other bigger wrestling news could be. So, Jr. Just, just to, I mean, just to that way, compare some people know, and, and in case they're not familiar with Okada, and I'm not going to pretend to be a big New Japan expert. I started following New Japan on a, I would say, on like a novice level around 2015, when they, when Wrestle Kingdom was presented on pay per view in America, on I ordered it through Directv, and the main of Okada was in the main event in 2015. So from 2015 to Wrestle Kingdom uh, 2024 that I just attended, that's I think that's about nine Wrestle Kingdoms if I do my math correctly. Okada was in the main event I think for every single one, with the exception of maybe two or three, where he was either in the co-main event. And I think the lowest he was on the card was third to last. So he, I mean, multiple main events he's done, at least from the time I was watching from 2015, was always in the title picture year in and year out. Obviously, being the main event, he was in the title picture. So he's, you know, from my experience, what I've seen, uh, either number one, if not number two, and that's it, like, of the biggest stars in New Japan. Yeah, it, it, this would be if John Cena left during his run you know what i mean it's like it's big this is huge news in a prefer uh, world of professional wrestling so of course i i went i you know new japan i feel like it's the pipeline to AEW. so i went hey he's going to AEW, right and then i heard i heard some speculation some rumors from a few friends of mine that he was signing with wwe but old tony khan uh killer khan the, the real Killer Khan, Tony Khan, just kidding, uh, to all the people that are fans of the original Killer Khan, R.I.P. Six hours ago, six hours ago, so right now it's 9.38 Central, so this was in between 3 and 4 uh, Central time. Uh, Tony Khan says it's going to be an amazing 2024. Then New Japan came out with the news. Uh, New Japan came out with the news that Okada was leaving. Tony Khan then replied to his amazing 2024 tweet with a picture from the TV show The Wire. And uh, my name is my name. And in essence, well, a lot of people are speculating. Well, Floyd, this host is speculating. That was him. Say he called his Okada shot six hours ago. And that was him confirming his Okada shot. Uh, Okada shot. What is forty-four minutes ago? He he confirmed it. But let me read the press release from New Japan NJPW nineteen seventy-two about Okada really quick. Uh, it probably just says what I said. But yes, thank thank you for supporting New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ok- Kizuchika Okada will be leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling after conclusion of his contract on January thirty-first. 2024. Uh, we apologize to fans for the abrupt nature of this announcement, but joining them in wishing Okada very best in his future. As New Japan series begins this weekend, Okada will appear on February dates. 
on February 11th in Osaka, February 23rd and 24th in Sapporo. Changes will be made to forthcoming cards with the announcement to follow. We appreciate your understanding and continued support. Okada's statement, I have nothing but gratitude for having been a part of New Japan Pro Wrestling since 2007. And that's 17 years. And for New Japan, bringing me from a 19-year-old kid off the plane in Mexico to the rainmaker I am today. Thank you to the uh, best of companies in JPW, to the best of opponents that I've been able to face here, and to the best of fans that have cheered and booed over the years. I promise to make it rain in every match I have left. So keep watching. Yes. So that was the official statement. I think the hottest ticket in professional wrestling right now is not the ticket on sale for the uh, first weekend in April. I think the hottest tickets on sale for is March 3rd, Greensboro, no Kakalaki, AEW Revolution, Sting's final match. Sir, 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 sir. All right, so we were starting to have this conversation before and I actually stopped you. Because I was like, shit, we might as well record it because this is the first thing we're going to talk about. Um, so what we're going to look at is we got to look at both sides. If Okada signs with AEW, with Okada signs with WWE. Of course, more time will probably be spent on AEW because, you know, you're listening to AEW podcast. But let's start with WWE. JR, what do you think it means for Okada, if, or Okada or professional wrestling in general if he signs with WWE? Well, there has been discussions about WWE trying to make some headway into Japan for a while. Actually, I mean, going back to pre-COVID, they've been wanting to set up something in Japan. And for if WWE were to be able to sign Okada, they would be able to utilize him, obviously, on American TV. And then maybe he would be able to help them establish either a working relationship with a promotion in Japan where he could go, obviously, represent WWE in Japan with another promotion, uh, help get their foot in the door and, uh, and establish that relationship. Bringing Okada in, as far as weekly W television, whether it's Raw or SmackDown, you're bringing in one of the biggest stars from another country. And hopefully, you the goal is that he's able to be a big star in America. The concern I would have, though, is how many people... In America, not online, but viewership that sees it on a daily basis that's not part of the IWC knows who Okada is and is familiar with his work. Um, because what I would be afraid of is they bring him out and there just isn't that connection. Um, obviously, his work, his his work ethic and his his capabilities is off the charts. I don't foresee there being an issue like when they did it with Mystico when he came over from, from Lucha Libre. But if that connection isn't there, then it's going to be hard for him to get over with the crowd, which would then potentially get creative to maybe sour on pushing Okada. The other thing is um, I would, you know, I would use AJ Styles in this. AJ Styles was a big star when he went to New Japan with the way they pushed him, he was always, um, he was in either in the, the title picture or near or feeding with the top stars in New Japan coming from impact. When AJ left impact wrestling before going to New Japan, he was 
getting back to being in the main event status. He'd been there for so long. He's been mid-card, upper-card, and everything in between. And he came over to WWE, and it was like this big moment. And then it just... They kind of... Uh, they didn't really... They had that midfield with Jericho, and then they had uh, going to WrestleMania, and they had him with Roman, and then he kind of fell back into the mid-card. Okada... As I mentioned earlier, since from my view, since I started watching New Japan in 2015, has always been in a main event picture or in like the second co-main event feud to the main event. He's not somebody that's going to probably thinking like, I, I don't have a problem working the first match. I don't have a problem working in with the United States Championship type match. I, it, at least in my opinion, like I think... Someone of him is like, man, for going on nine years, I've been in the main event or close to the main event in the previous company. Why would I come back and work in mid-tier feuds? At least for my, again, novice eyes, that's how I view it. So I, I think it would be big for WWE. I don't know how big it would be for Okada if they don't push him that same route because he should be in that same position as Cody Rhodes is. I completely agree. Um, I completely agree. And pretty much everything you said, uh, the thing with WWE, the key to WWE is if you look at Shinsuke Nakamura, right? Shinsuke Nakamura in uh, New Japan, big star, world champion, intercontinental champion. He comes to WWE. I think he has been presented well at times. And I think he's been presented terrible at times, you know what I mean? So, now, with that being said, you know, Okada, Nakamura, I'm not saying they're close. I, I don't know their personal relationship. I'm pretty sure, you know, he gives the call and says, you know, what you think? You know, and, you know, Nakamura gives, you know, probably his honest opinions on what's going on. And it's like, well, you look at WWE. If you look at their spots, I, I've been saying this for about five months right now. Their top spot is Roman, right? Their second spot is Seth. Then you have Gunther, you know, Gunther, Cody. Then you have the Logan Pauls coming in and all that stuff. The top of WWE's card is pretty much set. They have their star-making performance. You can do the yeet. You can do all these chants when people come out. Yeah, you can do all that stuff, right? Very entertainment-based, right? I think Okada is a huge wrestling star. Wrestling star. Wrestling star. You get what I mean? I don't think he's... I don't think he translates well to sports entertainment. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a fucking idiot. Maybe you completely disagree with what I'm saying. I don't think the man translates well to sports entertainment. That dude, his thing is, he's the rainmaker. You can't beat him. He's going to go in there and put on banger matches. 30 minutes, whatever. That dude puts on epic matches, right? So, yeah, I, uh, I don't know how well he translates to WWE, the sports entertainment story base. But, and as we go on to the second part of the question, what does this mean for AEW? I think it makes AEW the best in-ring performer wrestling company in the, in the world. I with Omega when he's healthy, Osprey, 
Okada, John Moxley, Brian Danielson. Even though it's his last year, you still have Brian Danielson. Hangman, Swerve, Darby Allen. Fuck. I haven't even I <laughs> I haven't even said Takeshita. I haven't even said him. <laughs> like Hobbs. I'm like, fuck. It makes you the best in-ring performing pro wrestling company in the world. Do you agree with that? And what are your thoughts on if he signs with AEW, JR? Now, besides with AEW, this has given Tony Khan a further collection of main event stars. Um, We've seen him from the time that he signed Kenny Omega when AEW was created to bringing in uh, Jay White and bringing in Will Ospreay now, and and then if you bring in Okada, on top of the other stars that he, that AEW has uh, either grown, it, people like Hangman Adam Page, MJF, um, another one that came over that is now one of the biggest stars in the AEW, uh, Swerve Strickland. It gives you more, for lack of a better word, credibility. You know, as far as you know why people should take you serious. And that's one of the things like AW has that hardcore fan base that we talk about that's so that makes the, the event so great because of the passion and love they have. And um if we talk about you know growing the audience and growing the audience, if they continue to see the in ring performance and bring in a, somebody who has that caliber of Okada, it just brings you up another level. Um and they that's on top of them they haven't even seen Osprey on a consistent basis yet. So it really does help them in that way. So the only concern that some people would have, and I think this is very minor because this isn't the same as WWE because you always heard this in WWE. You man, you bring in these outsiders and they can't be take overtaking, you know, you guys who who ride with you from day one. That I don't think that happens really in AEW so as much, but is that someone's like, hey, you bring Okada in and you put him straight to the title picture, someone's gonna be like Hey, uh, what about that guy that's been here since day one? I think that's a very minor part of the audience. I don't think it's as significant as we've in the other company's audience. So it's it's funny because last week on the show, I talked about and I made the announcement that my goal is to go to Wrestle Kingdom 20. I'm starting to wonder why. You know, I'm starting to wonder why I would want to go there because all in in London in about eight months, which I will be at starting to shape up like it's just basically going to be a Wrestle Kingdom. (laughs) All the people I would go for are now in AEW. I mean, it's the exception of Shingo because I fucking love Shingo. But, you know, I'm like, I want, definitely want to see Tokyo. But it's just like on a pure wrestling basis. Because like I said, I don't, I'm not a traveler. I travel for wrestling. You know what I mean? On a pure wrestling basis, like, everybody I would go see is pretty much in AEW. I have never, I like, I kind of like the Naito gimmick, the Tranquilo stuff. As far as him in the ring, eh. You know, I know if you're a New Japan fan, you probably want to stab me in the throat. I get it, but he's fine. You know what I mean? I, I'm just saying, and then, you know, in two years, in 2026, you know, what is he going to be? You know what I mean? Is is he going to be wrestling all the time? Is he going to be in the main event? You don't know. 
But, you know, they got two years. Because New Japan, Shinsuke left, AJ left, the Good Brothers left. Then they probably went on one of their hottest runs ever. So New Japan bounces back from losing people. So I think they will be okay. And the great thing is they do have a relationship with AEW. So if Okada wants to go back and wrestle in New Japan, if Osprey or any of these people want to wrestle, do one-offs in New Japan, they can. When it comes to Forbidden Door, that is a New Japan AEW show, they can, right? So it, it's like, I think that's another reason why, you know, when you look at the advantages, we, we were talking about this. It's like, you know, there's no Okada Kazuchika-san. You know what I mean? When you go to WWE, they're going to want their own name. I know Shinsuke kept his name, Samoa Joe. A lot of people have kept their name. And I imagine Kata's 38. He's been that for, what, 17 years, the Rainmaker? I'm pretty sure he would keep his gimmick in the WWE. I'm not trying to bury the WWE. That's not what this is about. But I'm saying they're going to want a WWE file, right? They're going to want to give him his music. They're going to want to present him the way they want to present him, right? But... In AEW, he's the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Probably will have the same music. Will have the same confetti dropping. He's going to be a big deal. He's not going to lose much. If you want to ask, look at Jay White. Look at Jay White. How many times has Jay White been flat out pinned in AEW since he showed up? Not Not much. (laughs) Not much. (laughs) That man. So they're going to present him as the Rainmaker. I honestly say probably within a year, maybe two maybe two, he's the world champion in AEW. And you know the idea, I I don't, like, I think this was a punk thing, but if you're looking at it, they have two shows they're trying to sell, right? Right? Dynamite and and Collision. You know, Rampage is there, don't we believe, but Dynamite and Collision are the shows they're trying to sell, right? The whole split roster thing with a world champion on each show didn't make sense. But look at the talent they have now. Look at the talent that they have now. Kind of makes sense to do a split roster. It kind of makes sense to be like, Kazuchika Okada is like the exclusive property of Collision or whatever. And that all makes sense at this point. And like, you got all these matches you can have with Okada that he hasn't had. So... I'm looking forward to it. You know, this has been, uh, this is, you know, we've been going on for a minute about this, you know, but I'm looking forward to it. I I think he's signing with AEW. I I said to Tony Khan messages, Tony Khan doesn't, uh, to, uh, to use a term, sell wolf tickets. He ain't out there. He ain't out there getting you overhyped. And then, you know, for the most part, generally he feeds on this hype. I'm not talking about the announcement of an announcement thing. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a problem with me, too. I hate it. But in general, when Tony Khan starts hyping something, you know, when he starts hyping something, it's usually already in the bag. Would you agree, JR? Yeah, and, um, and I think the other thing, too, is the I think the bigger difference is um, I'll say two things. One is to kind of be maybe – in favor of maybe Okada going to WWE and one is against Okada going to WWE and that, that way it can end this, is the first one is, as through rumors and what we hear through the dirt sheets, is WWE today is a completely different place than it was six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. With Triple H and Nick Khan taking more power, with 
um, and now with uh, Kevin Dunn, the longtime producer, executive producer, leaving, you're starting to see more things that I would say is more wrestling, more professional wrestling friendly than sports entertainment friendly. So that that is like a, a plus for Okada maybe going. The downside, though, is that WWE, in my opinion, when they look at stuff, especially looking at talent coming in, is what is the storylines we have for them? What would be a storyline for them to fit? And how does that affect the other talent that we currently have, especially the talent that we've homegrown and built to be stars for our company that we invested time and money into? Where AEW, for me, the first thing they look at is what are the matches we're going to put on? Because matches, that that does not affect storylines. It's just we're going to put Okada out there, and first match is going to be him, Versus, fuck it, Jay White. First match, let's let's rebuild up that right. Let's go back to that rivalry. What's the second match? Why don't we put him out there with, um, I don't know. Let's put him out there with Penta, like, and you can just go on that until you finally figure out like what are you actually going to do with him, and that's something that I think works against WWE. Not for not just for Okada to be like, I'm not going to sign with you, but even for WWE to be like, you know what? We're just gonna pass. He's not somebody that we really feel like that's gonna fit into our company with what we're trying to do for the future. Well, I gotta if say that makes sense. WWE is uh uh this is this is one of the hottest times of WWE ever. You know what I mean? I mean, would they like Okada? Absolutely. Would Okada open up Japan for him? Absolutely. Do they need Kazuchika Okada? Absolutely not. Not even a little bit. They they don't. They're WWE. They don't. They could make. They could literally take Shinsuke, and you know, start presenting him better, right? <laughs> or whatever. But like, they don't need Okada. AEW. Again, they don't need Okada, but they would treat Okada like they need him. You know what I mean? From the moment he comes in, he's going to be a big deal. Same entrance, same music. Winning matches. I mean, I, I'm restating something I've already stated, so I'm going to get on. But I'm excited to see where he goes. Wrestling's fun. Wrestling is fun right now. Big, oh, trust in TK. I say it all the time. I know some people don't, but trust in TK. TK, swinging from the fences. I mean, honestly, he ain't going to lose a lot of free agent battles. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he can promise stuff that other people can't promise. He's like, hey, you know your music? Yeah, I'll buy it. You know, hey, this, I'll buy it. You know what? You're going to be in a big match. You know, first revolution. We got you. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I am not big on, I'm not like Japanese wrestling history. Shit, I barely know American wrestling history half the time. But to Konosuke Takeshita versus Kazucho Okada, main event, a, a dynamite, a special dynamite. I'm going. You'd be like, it depends on where it is. No, I'm going. If I have enough time, if you give me enough notice, you announce Tanosuke Contest, the Contest, can't even say his name right now, versus Okada as the main event of our Dynamite, and you give me enough notice, I'm there. The Continental Classic next year, JR. The Continental Classic. Hey, all I know, you know what? 
I got I got to say this, and, and we, we're going to move on. I promise. Like after I say this, because I, I just want to make this kind of thing. Like, and, and I want to do. I'm going to get you to boy. I was just like, just to let you know, if we weren't doing a show tonight, we would have recorded something. That's how big this announcement was. So, <laughs> uh, this like New Japan, man, they really got to start second guessing their partnership with AEW because it seems like it's completely working in AEW's favor and not in New Japan's favor because. Well, New Japan got Jungle Boy. Um, <laughs> I remember that there's uh, you know talk about wrestling history, and I'm the wrestling buff in this. Back in the '80s, when they were trying to compete with Vince, uh, AWA, NWA, um, and there was another promotion. They tried. They started doing the Super Clash, where you have all these different you know promotions working together, and they said it did not work because. All of a sudden, as Vern, as uh, Vern Gagne's son, Greg Gagne said, all of a sudden you have Jim Crockett talk, talking to our AWA champion about coming to Jim Crockett Promotions, and and he couldn't and they couldn't work together. It's like, man, you know what? Three years ago, it was they, they lost Jay White. Last year they lost Osprey, and now they lost Okada. That's three IWGP World Champions that have gone from New Japan to AEW in consecutive years. And not including the fact that, you know, the AEW started with the New Japan champion. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. No. And, no. The, and, and I think also the New Japan United States champion. Wasn't Cody the champion right before he left? Yes. Cody was the United States champion. Lost it to Juice before he left. I mean, and then I Young Bucks is the most decorated tag team in New Japan junior history. And, uh... Uh, and they were the New Japan uh, World Tag Team Champions. I, I really do. Uh, I really do hope New Japan uh, recovers because the re- and, 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 and I'm, this is my last thing. Um, New Japan, I think, when guys like the Bullet uh, Bullet Club um, of Gallows and Anderson, AJ Styles left, and Nakamura left, and Prince David left, you know, I think they were able to rebound, and because we got the elite, and it was great. And then the elite left, and it was tough there for a minute, especially when COVID hit. Because remember, COVID hit like 14 months after after those um, after AW uh, was created in 2019. Um, they you know they they kind of you know were trugging along and trugging along, but man, like these are three big names, two two Gaijin, you know, an Osprey and White that have left, and now Okada leaving. You don't, you, those talents just don't get made overnight. Those are big, big names that they have lost. And, and I know they try to fill like Jay White's spot with, um, with Finley and it's, it's there. I don't know if it's taking, but, you know, losing Okada, it, it hurts. It hurts your, it, it hurts because it hurts the top of the marquee. Yeah. But, you know, that's what they do. They build new talent. They, they, I think you definitely, I, I, you know, uh, Rich Lotta, One Nation Radio, is recording something tonight about his thoughts on Takata uh, Okada leaving. You definitely want to listen to Keeping It Strong Style because you know they're going to have a thoughts on Okada leaving. <laughs> Literally, in 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 their uh, logo for their show, it's Okada doing the Rainmaker on Keeping It Strong Style. So they're going to have a lot of thoughts. On and you know, and I completely forgot they lost Kodo Bushi too. Yeah, yeah. Another New Japan champion to AEW. <laughs> um, so when you look at now the, the whole Abushi thing, he already had a broken relationship with 
<laughs> New Japan. It just he ended up going to AEW. So, but uh, that being said, definitely listen to Keep Your Strong Style. This is you gotta listen to the, the uh, this next coming up weeks. If you listen to this week's, you should listen every week. But you definitely want to listen to the, the next episode of Keeping It Strong Style. Definitely want to listen to One Nation Radio. I think they got breaking news tonight, so definitely go check that out. I mean, I'm pretty sure every podcast on this network is going to have something to say about Okada. This is the biggest wrestling news of this year, even in this very, very short year. So, it, and it, you know, it's going to ripple through the whole professional wrestling industry. So, all right, we're going to move on now. Uh, last week, uh, AEW Rampage, we had the results from, uh, we're just going to quickly go through the results. I don't, I think JR didn't watch anything but Dynamite, so I'm just going to quickly go through the results of Rampage and the Collision and Battle of the Belts, give you my thoughts real quick. If you saw or anything you want to speak on, JR, you can throw it out there. Uh, Rampage, we had Eddie Kingston defending his uh, Continental Crown Champion against Will Yuta. And if Yuta won, he'd be a, I don't know, a quadruple champion? He'd have four belts, but he did not. Uh, uh, Eddie Kingston finished the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, it was funny. It was almost like, I can't even say it's like a video game because he went, he went Claud- Claudio, then Danielson, you know, then, you know, the, the underboss, and then he went to the big boss, Moxley, and then he went back to their <laughs> young boy, uh, Willa Yuta, and beat them. But it was it, exactly how you would imagine the Eddie Kingston versus a Willa Yuta match. That's exactly what it was. Very physical. Eddie Kingston hits the Northern Light Bomb and pins Yuta. Uh, Hardy's and Mike Briscoe uh, interview backstage. It looks like they're going to be going for the six-man gold in ROH or AEW. Uh, you know, they call basically said Mark is one of them. He is their brother, in essence. Then you have Swerve versus Matt Seidel. D- don't be shocked on who won that. Swerve pretty much won an impressive faction. Uh, if you didn't know this, I don't know how many uh, people that listen are watching Rampage every week. The Hardys are pretty much everybody's like a Dynamite has their exclusive people. Uh, Collision has their exclusive people. Hardys are, have become kind of, they have decided they are the kings of Rampage. They are exclusive to Rampage. Even in the interview, they touted how their show, which is taped, beat beat collision a week before which i don't know if they were supposed to say that in the promo but that that was kind of crazy so it looks like that's that's going to be the hardest thing this their biggest matches are going to be on collision and this week they even have a big match on collision well one of them has a big match on collision we'll talk about it later then we have hakara Shida versus queen amanada queen amanada is they're doing the whole uh Takeshita, I think they did it with Garcia and Willa Yuta. They're just putting her in there with the best, and uh, they're putting her in there with the best and letting her uh, do her thing. So putting on good matches. This is another solid match. Uh, another solid match. Um, Shida finished off Aminata with the katana and then pinned her. Uh, they hugged after the match. Uh, backstage with Ruby Soho and Soraya. This is a little sports entertainment for your day. Soraya and Soraya showed uh, Soraya showed um, Ruby Soho a video, and it looked like Angelo Parker was kissing uh, the crazy Harley Cameron, and it was on uh, Ruby's birthday. 
because last Friday was Ruby's birthday. So <laughs> Soraya's gift to Ruby was to show her that her boyfriend or guy she's, you know, talking to or whatever is making out with the other chick. And it turns out the video was uh, taped in a way where he actually wasn't kissing her. But, you know, now uh, now it's setting up a split between uh, Soraya and Ruby Soho. Main event time, we had the Dark Order. Versus Cool Hand Ange, uh, Daddy Magic, and Jack a Jake Hager. Uh, they were in full... This is Jacksonville. So, the Dark Order or anybody related uh, to Brody is a 99. You know, a bad 99 in Jacksonville. So, of course, uh, Dark Order picks up the win. So, that was, that was it for uh, Rampage last week. Then we went in... Then we went into collision and the battle of battle of the belts. Uh, we had an open challenge. Uh, a rated uh, rated R superstar Adam Copeland. I almost called him his other name versus uh, Shane Taylor Promotions. Liam Moriarty. They put on. Uh, they put on a really good match. They put on a really good match. He uh, makes. T uh, he makes. Uh, he's been using this finisher that looks a lot like the yes lock, but the elbows in a different position. He taps out Lee Mar Mariotto, Mariotti, and then he says, just in case you forgot Christian Cage, I'm still coming for your scrawny ass. Now, I do have this question. A little logic, JR, where you can jump in. Uh, Adam Copeland beats uh, Adam Copeland beats um, Christian. Christian then cashes in to win, but somehow Adam Copeland has to go back to the end of the line. Does that make sense? Well, so Christian catch, cashes in Luchasaurus or whatever, Kill Switch, whatever his name is, cashes in his TNT championship opportunity. So the question becomes, in AEW, are you given automatically a number one championship, a number one contender rematch, or do you have to work your way back? Yes, that's what I'm like. I like, I know they don't do the guaranteed rematch in AEW, but they don't send you to the bottom usually, right? <laughs> I try to keep up with, I, I try, I try to keep up with all the TNT, like, you know, the, the, all the championship changes, but like, I'm trying to think about, well, um, I don't think they did that with... Well, because Hangman never got a rematch against Punk, you know, but, no. you know, Punk and got hurt the next day. <laughs> yeah. I would say the same thing, like, you know, Wardlow lost the belt to Luchasaurus, he didn't get a rematch, and then Luchasaurus didn't get a rematch, well, he kind of got a rematch, it was a triple threat match for the belt. So, but he was in a triple threat match that he lost. I don't know, man, I try not to find, lo I try not to, like, think of logic in, in wrestling, because wrestling is so illogical at, at many times a point, but it just seems it just seems like the initial build to the TNT match should have been him having to win a bunch of matches instead of you know him winning then losing and now he has to come back for Christian Cage. It, it's weird, but I, it was a thought and I figured you know I didn't want to just be talking for like thirty straight minutes, so I was like, oh, let's see what Jr. thinks about this. We had the ROH Six Man Championship. Uh, we had Bishop Khan, Toa Leone, and the Machine Brian Cage versus the Murderhawk Monster Lance Archer. And the Righteous, Dutch and Vincent, 
Um, the end of this match. Uh, the end of this match. Um, let's see. Bon, ben, uh, Bishop Khan used his finisher and flattened Vincent for the win. His finisher was what? The pedigree. He pedigreed. <laughs> he pedigreed Vincent to win the match. Prince Nada, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at the greatest ROH six-man champions of all time. And you know what? The boss server and I were watching those guys from the Bang Bang Gang complain about how they need more titles in their collection, more specifically the ROH six-man titles, but you have a boss who couldn't beat Swerve in the Continental Classic. But since we're such great guys, this Wednesday live on uh, live on Dynamite, it's Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony versus the Bang Bang Gang. So the champions actually challenged, you know, the contenders. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Uh, so, yeah, that match was announced for Dynamite. Um, uh, Preston Vance was getting interviewed backstage. Roderick Strong and the Kingdom interrupted. Said uh, Vance said this was his time, but after he was done with OC, he'd beat Roddy next week. Uh, Natural Dustin Rhodes versus Willie Mack, and Dustin planted Mack with the crossroads and finished and pinned him. I, in in a why the fuck is this on TV match? Like I literally, I'm like, I'm watching the match and I like Dustin Rhodes and I like Willie Mack, but I was like, why, why, why is this match happening for the life of me? Still can't figure it out. I mean, I guess it was to get Dustin Rhodes hot for his TNT title match, but still, you know, that that's exactly, it happens more often than we realize that, you know, sometimes matches get put on, especially on rampage or collision to set up a future title match for somebody. Yeah, so TNT champion Christian Cage interrupted Rhodes and said he didn't like the company that Rhodes kept because he was in a match with Adam Copeland the week before. Dustin challenged Christian Cage to put his title on the line this Wednesday on Dynamite. Then we had the Hangman versus J.D. Drake. I think this was a banger, personally. Uh, This was uh, Hangman's first collision match. And because the match show was in Virginia, I forgot to mention that. And he hit the buckshot Larry. He took out Anthony Henry, hit the buckshot Larry on JD Drake and pinned. Yes, this is a very physical match. I think, you know, if you just like physical, well-worked matches, you don't necessarily care that, you know, the result wasn't in question. I definitely say go back and watch this. Uh, we then had Deanna Peraza in Red Velvet. Deanna made Red Velvet tap out to the Venus de Milo. Again, Red Velvet's one of those people I never have a problem with. She always puts on a good match. She If she's winning or if she she always makes the person look good, she does her job. So, definitely. I would like to see Red Velvet win more, whether it be on Rampage against lesser talent. Again, I, I'm all about getting some easy wins. That way, when you finally do lose, it means more. Because it was like, oh, Deanna Parazzo came in and beat Red Velvet. It didn't seem like that big a deal, but the Venus de Milo finisher is sick. It's the rings of Saturn for all intents and purposes. It looks a little different, but it's the rings of Saturn. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, then we had Hook versus KM, Kevin Matthews uh, of uh, old school Impact fame. Uh, they were just saying Kevin Matthews was the same size. as He was a bigger guy like Samojo. Hook just basically whooped that ass. And he said, Hook looked in the camera and, and said, so Mojo, I'll see you Wednesday. And of course, Tony Schiavone puts over. Hook has the momentum into Wednesday. Main event, we had Daniel Garcia in the greatest tag team in the history of the world, FTR, versus the House of Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, and Malachi Black. Ah, this, this was 
go back and watch this match. This, I mean, it's FTR. It's the House of Black. I mean, you can't miss. In the end, uh, uh, in the end, Brody distracted the ref from the apron. Black nailed uh, Dax with the roundhouse kick. Buddy curb stomped Dax and scored the victory. What we've seen tonight has been credible, and the uh, House of Black always rises to the top. That's Tony Schiavone. You know what they say, the house always wins. That was Nigel. Brody blindsided Matt Menard after the match. Uh, they had him surrounded. Uh, Garcia and Cash jumped in the ring with steel chairs. The House of Black were forced to retreat despite winning. FTR and Garcia made a final statement by taking out Brody with the Shatter Machine. Now, there was a cool spot in this match. I don't remember who it happened on, but FTR and... Uh, FTR and um, uh, FTR, Cash and Dax, held up uh, 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 one of the guys. I think it was Buddy Matthews and then Garcia, so it was a double spiked pile driver. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it looks like this FTR Dean Garcia thing isn't going away, which of course makes me happy because I like all three of them. But of course, I do love the House of Black. Still, still begging. Maybe I'll get it in Greensboro. Probably going to get it before then, hopefully. Still can't wait to see FTR Versus Kings of Black Throne. I want it to be Malachi and Brody versus FTR. That's one of my dream tag matches. So I'm looking forward to that. Right after we go into the back and there are the fights already started uh, outside between Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara uh, in their World Tag Team Championship Street Fight versus Big Bill and Absolute Ricky Starks. Go back and watch this. I could go spot for spot. I, I do think if... If there was a match last week that I say you absolutely need to watch, it's this match. Chris Jericho, Sam Guevara, uh, they went absolutely after each other, you know, tried to kill each other, all those, all those things. And, uh, yeah, in the end, uh, Sammy climbed a lighting truss. He's climbed the stage, 30 feet in the air, and went for a senton. Powerhouse Hobbs. Pulled Ricky Starks out of the way. Sammy crashed and burned on the senton. Starks put his arm. Starks put his arm over Sandy, Sammy, and pinned him. So, so the Don Callis family helped uh, helped um, Ricky and Big Bill. The thing about this is though, and I, you know, I'm gonna jump ahead after the show. There was a promo by Will uh, Hobbs and said, "What with your history with Ricky Starks? Why would you help him?" And he's like, "It wasn't about Ricky." It wasn't about Ricky. The Don Cal- uh, Don Callis put out a hit on Chris Jericho, and we went out and executed the hit. It wasn't about Ricky Starks. Any they can still get it, and I just loved how they addressed that. I don't think you get that in other wrestling companies. They made sure to come back and tell you Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs still don't like each other. Jr., if you want to join in, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think you said everything. I think you said every everything that I would say. So I'm. Yeah. I would say that I did. I got a chance to see some of the match, and there was times where I'm just ridiculously impressed about some of the stuff that Sammy Guevara can do. Yeah. Um. I I think all four men they they bring something to the table. I I really do like the dynamic between Ricky Starks and Big Bill, and I hope they just continue with it and and as they move forward, give them something to bite into. All right, and um, then we had TBS Championship match, Julia Hart versus Santa Jay. 
They put on a solid match. I thought it was a good match. I, I would not call it great. When, wouldn't say 100% you need to go out of your way to watch it. But uh, Julia Hart uh, locked on Heartless out of nowhere and made Anna J tap out. I want to see more from Anna J. Uh, you see factions are a big part of the male roster, right? And, you know, you know the women's roster was kind of with injuries and certain things, kind of depleted. So um, they haven't been able, you know, they haven't really been able to build a whole lot of factions or whatever. But with Serena coming back, Deanna being signed, hopefully Jamie Hayter getting healthy soon, Britt hopefully coming back. You know, you got Mercedes maybe debuting. You got all this talent. And if that all comes down and it's all comes to the head, I would like to see a women's faction to get more people on TV. You know what I mean? Just, you know, just to get them more on TV, to get them in more matches, you know, to help elevate the women's division. Uh, footage was shown from early in the day. It looks like Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal don't like each other. And Sanjay Dutt and Karen Jarrett are trying to, uh, uh, trying to fix it. Uh, Satnam Singh entered the room and offered food to Jay Lethal, but Lethal shoved it away. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I would piss off a 7-3 guy. You know, I, I probably wouldn't do that. Jay Lethal, especially, you know, kind of on a losing streak. The main event, freshly squeezed Orange Cash TV versus Preston Vance. Yeah, I thought this was really good. Like, from a match where I came in, I figured I knew who won. And, you know, I figured I knew who won. I tend to win. I tend to kind of zone out on matches where I know who's going to win. Uh, they caught me. I didn't have a lot to do when it was going on. And I honestly thought this was really good. I thought Preston Vance looked really good. I don't know what they can do with them. Again, this roster's getting pretty stacked, so... Spots are going away. I don't know what they can do with them, but they need to find something to do with Prince, Preston Vance, Orange Cassidy. Uh, or, or uh, let's see, Magnarine. Okay, Preston locked on the full Nelson. Cassidy stomped on Preston's foot and broke free. Orange cracked Preston in the face with the orange punch. Orange pulped Preston with the breach break. This is how it's written on. Uh, the All Elite site, I am not trying to make puns. He said he pulled, he wrote, Orange pulped Preston with the beach break and pinned him, retaining the championship. The United Kingdom got in the ring after the match. They stared at Cassidy. Jose, the assistant, grabbed Roderick. But Roderick retaliated with a jumping knee strike. The United Undisputed Kingdom, I keep saying United Kingdom, but Undisputed Kingdom, whenever I see UK, I always want to go United, but Undisputed Kingdom threw Preston and Jose out of the ring that turned their attention back to Orange Cassidy. Roderick pointed at Orange and said the clock was ticking for him. All right. So that was Rampage, Collision, Battle of the Belts. Yep, this we're sticking to the title of all things elite in here. We're trying to cover everything. Now, for the show that me and JR pretty much watched at the same time, AEW Dynamite results from yesterday, January 17th, live from North Charleston Coliseum in North Charleston, South Carolina. Not South Charleston, not Charleston, North Charleston. All right. Uh, so, on the call, we had Ian Riccoboni uh, replacing uh, Tony Schiavone, who was out. I guess ill. I think they said he was ill. Uh, so it's Excalibur, Ian Riccoboni, and the Human Suplex Machine Taz for the broadcast team for tonight's event. It's Wednesday night. You know what that means. All right. First match, TNT champion. We had the Patriarch, 
Christian Cage with Nick Wayne and Killswitch versus the natural Dustin Rhodes. Uh, uh, match, uh, how the match ended. Uh, Dustin got in the ring. Christian speared him. Christian smashed Dustin with the kill switch, but Dustin kicked out a two count. Dustin got back up, but Christian connected with the second kill switch and pinned Dustin. Uh, Taz says that spear was a direct message from Adam Copeland. Okay. JR, we watched this match together. Do you have any thoughts on this match? The only thing I would say is, uh, you know, Dustin Rhodes, I think I looked him up. He's like, I want to say 54, 56, one or the other. And, you know, if he works, you know, the schedule he's been working and, you know, I fully believe he could work until he's at least 60, if not 63. I mean, we've seen it with guys like Terry Funk and Rick Flair worked into their 60s, but he takes really good care of himself. I, I remember back in 2018, I talked to him about, um, about even just drinking soda. He's, I stay, he told me himself, he stayed away from everything. He really takes care of himself as, as he's gotten older and, and keeps in good shape. And, you know, I think he, he could still go. I mean, I don't know about a full schedule cause you know, father time is always going to be undefeated, but I, I do enjoy his work as he goes out there and does, you know, and does his performance that he puts on. And, um, as people say, you know, Christian, I think Christian's a great heel. Um, I think people kind of – people, are, I think, are getting to the point where I feel like he's starting to get overrated a little bit because of his, his heel promos, you know, because he talked about all the time about dead dads and stuff like that, and I'm your daddy. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I don't think it's as clever as people think it is, but I also have different standards than other people. But as Christian has continued to do his TNT championship run, you're going to need to feed him people and – until it's time for him to lose it, and you don't want certain people getting beaten to powder. Uh, Dustin Rhodes is somebody that can go on there, put on a good match with Christian, and could afford to take a loss. Yeah, once you reach legendary status, which Dustin is, he is a legend in wrestling. Uh, once you reach uh, legendary status, you can lose, and it really doesn't mean a lot, right? Um, uh, my big thing is, and of course, I uh. I bring this up only because I'm me. And if I didn't say it, I wouldn't be me. Christian wants to fight Dustin Rhodes because he tagged up with Adam Copeland. Christian comes out with two people and they're cheating uh, Dustin. Killswitch even comes out to attack Dustin. Who is missing and does not come out to protect Dustin? Uh, Adam Copeland. Why are faces assholes? Worst friends you can have. Dude, JR, if somebody wanted to fight you because you were friends with me and you're getting jumped by three people and I don't come to help you, I'm the asshole, not the people that jumped you. <laughs> I don't know how this... I know it's wrestling. And I, I there have been many times... Me and you have had a conversation. You asked the logic thing, and the only answer I had is it's wrestling, right? Many times. That's that's it. So I I understand it. But in these type of cases, when you're a nerd and you watch closely, I'm I'm a storyline nerd. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this is about Copeland. So it only makes sense if Copeland a 
companies dust into the ring. Maybe they outsmart Copeland. Maybe there's too many of them and they still cheat Dustin to win, but Copeland doesn't look like a, you know, D-bag. And maybe he only looks like a D-bag to me. Maybe in this world, I am the 1% of the 1% of the 1% that actually cares about this and nobody else thinks about it, but it has always bothered me. I'm never going to book wrestling. I'm never going to work for a wrestling company. But if I did, that would be the thing that I fixed. They would kick me out of the room because I'd be so passionate about that faces actually need to be good friends. I, I remember back in WWE, right? Uh, Ryback turns on John Cena, right? Because Ryback had John Cena's back and then John Cena didn't have his back. And John Cena basically made him look like a whiny bitch. And all I could think of when watching that even back then is that Ryback was right and John Cena was the asshole. <laughs> Do you remember that storyline a little bit? Not not particularly. So Ryback is on the winning streak and he's going in against CM Punk, right? And Ryback, you know, CM Punk and John Cena had had their thing and Ryback, you know, would have John Cena's back. Well, the Shield cost Ryback the title. That's how they debuted. Do you remember that? Yes, that's right. Yeah. No, they that's Survivor Series. Yeah, a, tri a triple threat. Yeah. So that's how they debuted, and it was just like Ryback went on this thing, and he was like complaining how he got screwed out of winning the world uh, title or whatever, and it was like John Cena just made him look like such a bitch, and it led to Ryback turning heel. And I uh, and like I said again. I don't go back and watch a lot of wrestling. So I want to make this clear. This is as I remember it. If I'm missing a few details that you, you like watched this last week so you know exactly how it happened, you got me. You win. I'm not going to argue. And I'm not going to go back and watch it. You win. <laughs> if you know this better than me, you win. Uh, I'm, you know, how many times have we done that, JR, me and you? All the time. Yeah, like, you win. I, maybe I missed the detail. Maybe... Maybe, you know, because literally I watched it then and that's it. And this is me recalling from that one time I watched it years ago. But I remember being on Ryback's side because I thought John Cena not having his back was kind of a dick thing to do. So, I don't know. I'm not saying Adam Cole was a dick. And then, like he said, I'd be out there and didn't come. But you think, Christian, he says, I'm coming for you, Christian. Christian then challenges Dustin because... He's kind of friends with Adam Copeland. You figure Adam Copeland would have his back. Again, that's applying logic to wrestling, which, you know, can be dangerous. But, you know, I still wanted to. Uh, backstage with Swerve. Uh, and Swerve had an excellent line, and I'm trying to remember it. Uh, Swerve said not only did he have highs on the main event, which was Samoa Joe, which was going to be Samoa Joe and Hook. He also has his eyes everywhere. He said he didn't matter if it was Joe or Hook who came out as champion. So I said he's the most dangerous man going after the most coveted prize in the industry. Uh, Renee mentioned Hangman Page. Said, like I said, I've got eyes everywhere. So I said he's beaten Hangman twice and he's got no re reason to prove it again. Like, I don't, I figured this was last night. and You can tell me if it was. Because uh, actually, I believe Sean Ross Stapp retweeted it. So I can actually go get the exact quote. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm uh, talking about? The quote? The God quote? No. I oh, mean, okay. I, I, don't, I, I didn't hang on word for word what yeah. he said. Basically, he said, the skies can open up. The skies can open up. And uh, 
Uh, God could come down. God damn it. <laughs> I, I don't even, I try not to use that one very much. So, uh, excuse me if that offended you. It's not one that I try if, to use. I, I have it right here. You're okay. Read it, sir. If God opened up the clouds above us, came down from the heavens, and everyone on earth challenged him, I think Hangman Page would have a chance, but he still couldn't beat me. Oh my God! Was that is that not some gangster shit? So that's as 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 the kids say nowadays, bars. <laughs> that man said you can beat God, but you can't beat me. <laughs> what? Who says that? <laughs> I heard it. I heard it and I reacted and I was like, oh, you know, then I read it from Sean Rossap and I'm like, fuck, that is, I think they got lost, they got lost in the sauce a little bit. <laughs> that man, uh, uh, that man is dropping some knowledge right now. I thought that was pretty good. Like I say, I heard it. I didn't react to it. Then I read Sean Ross's tweet and I read it again and I was like, God damn. <laughs> again, I don't say that one much. But it got me. So Renee uh, Paquette uh, interviewed uh, Chris Jericho backstage. Jericho said Don Callis' family ripped the AEW World Tag Team Championship belts and from Sammy Guevara's hands. Uh, to Hobbs, you caused us to lose and you injured Sammy. Now, we're, even though I beat you in Tokyo, Takeshita, suddenly that match doesn't mean as much anymore. I'm going to seek and destroy your ass. Uh, Matt Seidel interrupted and questioned why Jericho was losing over this defeat. To get over this loss, you have to get back in the ring. You have to fight somebody who's beaten you before like me. He said, you're asking for a match. I respect you as a wrestler. Someone even say you're born to do it. Shout out to Evan Warren from WWE. Maybe we need to do this match on Rampage, but I've got to warn you. I've got a lot of pent-up aggression, so be careful what you wish for. I'll see you Friday. So, match announced for Friday. We had Orange Cassidy and Trent Beretta versus Commander and Pinto El Zero Miedo, JR's favorite wrestler. Uh, yeah, this was a good match. This is a dynamite match. High pace, high lots of action. In the end, Trent Beretta hits, uh, I believe, Penta with, uh, what's that move? What's that move called? Uh the crunchy and uh, he pinned commander. So he hits commander with the crunchy and pinned him after the match. The undisputed uh, kingdom walked in onto the ramp and down to the ring. Uh, Roger Strong, I know you heard me say to the fans and other people, but I came out here to say it to your face. So take off your glasses and look me in the eye. Orange, orange, take your glasses off. Now we can end you right now. If we want it, it's like, you listen, you've been a fighting champion and willing to take on anyone at any time, but tonight you decided to wrestle in a tag match and not defend the AEW International Champion. But why? Is it all becoming too much? Are you afraid you don't have enough in the tank to keep it? Are you afraid of me coming forward and you can't face it? It belongs to me and I'm coming for you. I'm here to make you face it. Orange Cassidy's like, all right, let's wrestle. Like now, you know, Orange Cassidy's been literally taking on all challengers. He's actually been taking on challengers that didn't actually challenge him. Uh, and Roderick's like, no, takes off his shirt. Looks like he's about to wrestle. I'm like, no, not right now. You're going to have to wait until March 3rd, live on pay-per-view on Revolution, because I want you for the next six weeks to live with that, to accept that, to wake up every day knowing that you're just keeping my title warm for me. So the first official match Announced for AEW Revolution in Greensboro, North Carolina, is 
Mr. Roderick Strong versus Orange Cassidy for the international title. Sir, first of all, what did you think of this match? What did you think of the segment afterwards? And what do you think of the match announcement? Let's go. I want to hear what you think. First of all, I mean, they put on a heck of a match. I think Orange Cassidy, as I've said it time and time again, I think he's one of the best athletes in in AEW. And if you don't believe me, Try to just do a nip-up in your living room with your hands and see how difficult that is. Um, and everyone knows I love Penta. Uh, I love Penta. Unfortunately, Commander, he's also he's a great luchador. He just takes way too many L's for me. But they did what they do. Go on, put a spotlight on for Orange Cassidy to lead to the segment. I, I'm glad they're trying really, really hard to establish the undisputed, undisputed kingdom as in a very important faction and it starts with having a match of this of this um i don't want to say caliber magnitude because i think that's the wrong word but i'll use them of this magnitude where roger strong who has been somebody who has been a hell of a talent for a long time uh has never been at a level of being i would say a single star on a main show we know he was like when he was in nxt with undisputed era he was the nxt north american champion but he's never been at that level of where either in previous companies so having him in this position of challenge orcs cassidy who's a homegrown talent who a lot of people love it's very important for for him and aw as well as undisputed kingdom to have that establishment of them being an important faction um i think they're going to do great work i think it's going to be a great match and an important, I think, an important milestone in Roger Strong's career in AEW. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Roger Strong is the best secondary champion, like, ever. He he was the North American champion in NXT. You know, that's what he does. You know, tag tag team champion in NXT, that's, that's kind of his role. He's a, sometimes... You know, he's the, you know, like the best second. You need the Arn Anderson of the group, you know, the the guy. And that's, that's what Roderick Strong is. He's the technician. He's going to always put on a good match, whether it's four minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Roderick Strong's going to bang. So I know this match with Orr versus Orr Cassidy is going to be a banger. It's just, yeah, it was just like six weeks building to an international title match just seemed interesting. You know, like they don't, Tony Khan, you know. Doing some, you know, like generally we don't get a match for the pay-per-view until like a week before the match, you know. So the fact that they announced in the six weeks, maybe we're getting, you know, like a changing of the guard on the type, how much time we get to get ready for these shows. Uh, Page backstage with Hangman. He said, if you think the past five years, you will not find another soul on the planet. Uh, yeah, a soul on the planet who cared more about AEW World Championship than I have, who treated it with reverence, who needed it. But in 2024, not only will I win it, but I will also put my name on it and keep it there for as long as I can. Swerve seems to think about me a lot. I don't think about him at all. I mean, I would think about a person that broke in my house and touched my baby, but whatever. Uh, if he says he can beat me, I would say it doesn't matter because he's not the world champion Samoa Joe is. I'll be watching tonight, and if Hook wins, God be with you. Which is hilarious. So basically, he didn't deny the fact that he can't beat Swerve. He sidestepped it. <laughs> he sidestepped it. So even though Hangman's a badass, there is a confidence issue when it comes to Swerve Strickland, and I dig it. Uh, so no, uh, hangman's back in my eyes. 
this is this is the hangman, right? When AEW was first presented, it's like this is what I thought the hangman could be. Uh, I you know he's the cowboy. I always thought there was a little stone cold in him, and you know he's a great worker. You know, little Magnum TA. You know, you saw everything that the makings of a great, great good guy, right? And he had his world championship run. It was amazing. He lost to CM Punk. And it's felt like he has been kind of, you know, like in this, you know, purgatory, you know, like directionless. He's had some great matches, but Hangman should have been a person to me that never left the world title picture after he got the title because he was the, he was the guy in this country company, even with the elite there. Right. <laughs> even though you had Cody, you had, uh, Omega, you had the young bucks, you know, when they, when you talk about the pillars of AEW, right. I mean, you have those guys that the young, but the first pillar, the first back the company was supposed to be built off of, his story was super important, was Hangman, right? Yes. It was a he was in the first world title match. You know, he it was this long run to him finally becoming the champion. And it was like once he became champion, Hangman was always gonna be there. He was the sting. He was the franchise of AEW. He was all of that. It, it just felt like he kind of got knocked down a peg after CM Punk, then AMJF, and then it's like always he wasn't quite there. But this badass, ruthless, I hate everybody version of Hangman, oh God, I am behind. Because I, I mean, I used to joke about hating the fucking horse, which I never actually did. But this is what I wanted. This is the fire I wanted. This is the aggression I wanted. Hangman feels like Hangman again. As someone who's all about that effing horse and being there for his title win, what do you think about his presentation right now? I love it. I think it's his best presentation he's ever had because he's coming in with that kind of with that attitude that reminds me. I didn't grow up on him, but it reminds me of Magnum TA and of you know, as you mentioned, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I love the mustache. I I just love the look, and he just come out there and be serious. And you know, I was there for the tile run, and it was great the stuff he did with Dark Order, but. He needs to like. It needs to come to a point where he needs to realize, after going into his, I'll do math correctly in my head, going into his fifth year in AEW, it's like you may have been champion, but that reign exactly wasn't all that you know special. Go get your fire back. Go go you know get some get that fire underneath your ass and go out there and and knock people out with, uh, knock people out and and win a championship. And then we have Mark Briscoe walked out to the ring to honor Jay Briscoe. Uh, basically, uh, in essence, he's like, you know, they lost his brother. His brother's in heaven. He he moved on. He's in heaven. Uh, they told his daughter that she would never walk again. And she told his daughter uh, that uh, that she would never walk again. She was in an accident. He said, but God, you know, is in control. And the daughter walked out in a very special moment. The daughter who was told she'd never walk again, walked out uh, with uh, Mark Briscoe to honor Jay Briscoe and, you know, them boys for life. And, you know, it's just, it, it struck a heart string. I didn't cry, but, you know, I felt a little something, something there. What'd you think? Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing I can say, man. It's just, she was emotional. 
Renee Peck sat down with the Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson. Uh, Nick says, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you can show us respect and call us by our God-given names, Nicholas and Matthew. We're executive vice residents around here, and it takes time to take a job a little more serious. I thought this was funny. Yeah, I thought this was funny because this is them being saying you have to refer to them by their God-given names. If you remember the Jericho Appreciation Society, he says we don't use makeup names, made-up names, and he's like Angelo Parker, Matt Menard, and he's like I'm Chris Jericho, and I'm just like I'm stroking my beard, I'm stroking my beard. Is Chris Jericho his God-given name, Jr.? No. Is Nicholas? I'm not mistaken. Is Nicholas and Matt Jackson their God-given name? No. Yeah, it's it's just. It's such a funny heel trope because they say call us by our God-given names and then, you know, they don't use their God-given names. Uh, we've heard about your public tantrums, the rumors. He's like, you rumors, you want to go there? I think, I, I thought this, this whole segment was brilliantly done. So if I'm reading a lot, it's because I just thought this was perfect for what's about to establish the uh, Young Bucks characters. And for everybody... Remember, the Young Bucks are my second favorite tag team of all time, so I'm very excited about what's coming. Rumors you want to go there? I think I know which rumor you're talking about. Don't believe the things they say or write about us, do you? None of those are true. Let's say, hypothetically, some of those are, were true. What would you do to preserve and protect your life's work? What would you do to protect your baby? I know what I would do, so just think of the next time you come at us with rumors again. Again, this is all hypothetical, but what would you be willing to lose? Also, would you be willing to lose your relationship with coworkers and your friends? How about your legacy and reputation out the window? If you know all that in hindsight, would you do it all if it meant there'd be a healthy, sustainable company called AEW? I'll answer that. Hell yeah. And speaking of there being a company around, you got your pay check this week, right? Awesome. I thought that was the perfect douchey line. Perfect douchey line. And switching gears, let's talk Sting. He's like, when I started AEW in the beginning, you weren't there. <laughs> you weren't there. So you wouldn't know. But we used to say change the world. We were disruptors. We were changing the world. We uh, we were changing. Hold on a second. I accidentally clicked down. We were changing the world. So along the way, we lost our way. It's like the culture shifted. Toxicity crept into the locker room. Hmm, wonder who they're talking about, JR. It was just different. I think I know why. I think it's because we started to lean on yesterday's self-serving cancerous superstars. <laughs> Woo! Uh, and you mentioned Sting. This isn't about Sting. Sting's one of the Sting is none of those things. Sting is great. Sting is a role model employee, which I laughed. And I'm envious of the way they talked about Sting. Maybe Sting, maybe they'll talk about us like that one day. However, it's, it's what Sting represents. Sting is the last of that dying breed, and the image of Sting isn't in line with what we wanted to do with AEW. We wanted to change the world. Unfortunately, Sting, we're going to have to say goodbye to Sting, and everybody likes Sting. We would never ask anybody to do anything we weren't willing to do ourselves. Nick says, good point. Is that the official call out Sting at resolution for this final match? As EVPs will pull some strings. So, you know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, you know, the evil Tony Khan character if he was the devil. And, you know, now they're doing the evil Young Bucks boss character. What do you think? 
Do you love it? Do you hate it? Oh, I fucking hate the Young Bucks. I think they've been... So, I, I, so this I, is right? I don't give a shit. I hate the Young Bucks. I don't. I think they've been nothing but glorified spot monkeys who've, who've been nice to fans, who bought merchandise and meet and greets. I don't get I don't get the lore. I don't get why everyone thinks they're they're great. I think I think this whole like douchey gimmick is fucking terrible. I don't want to see them on my television. I'm happy when they're not on television. So yeah, I'm good. So my big thing about the Young Bucks is there is this idea that AEW was a vanity project for them. Literally all these guys do is put people over. Like, all they do is put people over. I'm like, you can talk about the characters, about the play or whatever, but if you talk about the reality of it, all they do is put people over. All they do is make the other teams look good. Like, I don't even know what match it was, but it wasn't very long in their match, and they they lost the opening round of the tag team tournament to Private Party. Does that sound like... Does that sound like somebody that only cares about themselves? I, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I, to me, it's not a vanity project. AW was an advantage project. AW was a retirement project for them. Mm. It's a retirement check they're getting. So that way, after they get done wrestling, they have, they have a nest egg that they have built for themselves. I, I and, and, and honestly, I'm fucking... I know what they said, and it was tongue-in-cheek and whatever... Let's fucking move on from fucking September 2022 already. Like, for fuck's sake, dude. Can't we just move on act like everything's normal? The match ain't fucking happening. We're moving on. Let's move to something else. Yeah, you're wrestling Sting and Darby. Great. I am very... I'm. It's very, you know, we're proclivity for positivity. But I'm glad we had you on the show because I wanted the extreme differences. Because that's what you, what you see online is exactly what's going on in this conversation. There are people that love the Bucks, me included in that. Uh, Rich Ladder, way bigger Bucks fan than me, even though I am, I love the Bucks. And then you have you, who hates the Bucks. <laughs> I, I just, it's one of those things where, you know, I'll say this, and it's my fault. For a long time, there are certain people in wrestling that I never understood. But to try to be like, you know, in the fun crowd or in the group or the club or whatever, just let's all join in and hold hands, say kumbaya, and praise them. Like I don't, I, I just don't get it. I, I never did, and I, I think this these last two years has just been, or year and a half has just been, just a bunch of nonsense. And it's just like let's move on. Like, how about why can't we just have you know what, Young Bucks, the greatest tag team in the world, wants to face one of the greatest legends in the world in their in his final match, or Sting challenges them like. You know, I got one more in me, and it's just like, I want the best of the best. To borrow a line from my favorite cartoon, The Moondocks, because that's boring, Huey. What you're saying is boring. Okay. <laughs> like, what they did last night has the world talking, and that's what you wanted to do. The world's talking about the Young Bucks. And their final match would stay. Uh, next up, we had this ROH six-man championship match. Uh, the Mogul Embassy, Bishop Khan, Toa Leone, and the Machine, Brian Cage, versus Switchblade, Jay White, the Guns, uh, Austin, and Colton. In the end of this match, uh, let's see. 
Jay White shoved uh, Cage into the Sting uh, uh, steel ring post. Uh, Jay White lit up uh, Bishop with heavy chops, sending thunders echoes through the arena. The guns blasted Cage with the 310 Yuma. Bishop Khan split leg drop kicked the guns. Khan distracted the refs while Prince Nana tripped up Jay White. Khan hit a lung blow on Jay White for a new fall. Uh, Prince Nana jumped into the ring with the belt ready to hit Jay White while Khan distracted referee. The Scissor King, Anthony Bowen, sprinted to the ring and pulled the belt away from Prince Nana. Jay White rocked uh, Khan with the Blade Runner, because Jay White does not lose, uh, with the Blade Runner and pinned him. And new ROH World Champion, six-man champions, Bullet Club Gold. The crazy thing in this match, they were the clear faces in the match. They did not cheat. They have not really changed their characters, but the Bullet Club Gold is... Are we're definitely the faces in this match. What do you think of the match? Uh, what do you think of the match? What do you think about Bullet Club Gold winning? And what do you think about the superfection that that has been presented of uh, Bullet Club Gold and the acclaimed? Um, you know, they, the one thing I would say is Austin and Colton Gunn have come so far in such a short time. I mean, I from the time they kind of put him out there in, in a prominent position, I, I don't think it was I don't think it was longer than maybe sixteen months ago. I think that's even too much. I actually think probably I think it was like November twenty twenty two is when they finally kind of put them out there as giving them, you know, go out there and, and have in, in a prominent position and I they started their their feud with the acclaimed. Um, as far as like getting towards the title, getting becoming AEW Tag Team Champions, uh, I, I like what they did because people like to see them. They like to see them either on television or like to see them get beat up. They love Jay White. Obviously, they become kind of baby faces because of what happened in the Devil storyline. Uh, you know, with them with Jay White getting beat up. As far as this proposed superfaction, I don't see it. I think this is a long way to get to a title unification between the AEW Trios champion, the acclaimed, and Billy Gunn, and the ROH six-man champions, Bull Club Glow. I I fully suspect there's going to be some a few twists and turns, but eventually it's going to lead to Revolution Greensboro. These two tag teams coming together to unify the belts. And honestly, in my opinion, it should be unified. We don't. Ring of Honor, AEW, I'd like to call it Tony Khan Enterprises, doesn't need two six-man championships. Bang, bang, scissor gang. That's what I'm talking about. Bang, bang, scissor gang. Scissor me, they're going to scissor, they're gonna, all six going to scissor. And yeah, somebody's going to screw the other over. Probably the Bullet Club goes screwing over the acclaimed. But uh, I will say this. I hate that they call them the acclaimed and daddy ass. I think they should just call them the acclaimed. So that's all I gotta say. Um, uh, Undisputed Kingdoms, Adam Cole and Wardlow were backstage. Uh, Cole, Wardlow hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's capable of. But now with the Undisputed Kingdom, this man will be unbeatable. This man will go down as the most dominant AEW professional wrestler of all time. I promise you that. And just wait and see until Wardlow comes to run. Uh, over opponent after opponent after opponent, there's nothing left but the AEW World Championship, which will be the property of an undisputed kingdom. Ain't that right? 
big and word logos, boom. Got a question, JR. But as far as characters, what is the difference between Don Callis and Adam Cole right now? Nothing. <laughs> I recall there was a lot of stink online when it was suggested Adam Cole go to the main roster of WWE and be a manager. Pretty fucking good at it, right? Just saying. I'm not saying he should stay a manager. I know once his ankle gets better, he'll be a wrestler because he's a phenomenal wrestler. Well, I'm just saying. Can you see? No, what he, the, can you see? His, can you see what the other guy saw? His career. Huh? He's finally made it to the top. He became a manager. That's all. Whatever. <laughs> that's what the you know the CEO thought he should be the, is the manager. No, I mean the thing is Adam Cole. I will say this. I love me Adam Cole. I I remember. I think I'm sure I said this. I'll take quick. I remember going to my first ever Ring of Honor show, and he was main eventing against Jay Lethal. He was in Bullet Club. They just shaved uh, Jay Lethal's head. They had this rabbit rivalry. It was in Vegas for this honor in August of 2016. I love his work. Like, I think it, it's the complete opposite. Like, I think he's a great storyteller. I think he has great promos. I, I've said it. I've been saying this since, like, 2019. I thought he, I thought he was a future of WWE. I think he's a future of AEW. I think he should be AEW World Champion. And everyone's like, he's too small. Man, the way he works and the way he cut promos and his presence and, you know, and his charisma makes up for any fucking height differential or weight differential. He's just really good. And it's important when you have a guy like that on TV as often as possible, even if they're injured. And I, and I say that because I remember, and I'm not comparing him to this gentleman, but I remember in 1997 when Stone Cold, after SummerSlam 97, was dropped on his head by Owen Hart. You know, Stone Cold could not wrestle. And he was out for, you know, for months leading to Survivor Series 97. But the one thing was Stone Cold had to be on TV because people needed to see him. He needed to continue to get over as being the future of WWF at the time. So I see the same thing with Adam Cole. Like, eventually we're going to get to Adam Cole versus MJF. It's going to happen. And when it does happen, it's going to be a big thing. But he has to be on TV to sell it, especially with MJF not being on TV. So that's why we have this spot where he could be the quote-unquote manager to help get Wardlow over. And it's also going to help Wardlow because Wardlow, a year ago, we were like rabid. Actually, I'm sorry. I forget 2024. Almost two years ago, we were rabid. Wardlow to like turn on MJF and become a champion and do all this and he's lost so much momentum since then and it's time to get it back. Damn right. Wardlow's back and who fixed him? Adam Cole, baby. Manager extraordinaire. That dude he's just one of those things. He's just good at everything he does. It was just a joke that I brought out. I was like, did Vince McMahon win? <laughs> because, you know, Adam Cole ended up a manager. Well, he's only one for right now anyway. Then we had the virtuosa, Deanna Perrazzo, who was uh, the subject of some internet uh, internet uh, stuff this week. Uh, I will hey, say let this. Let me say this. Hold I, on, let me say my first because you may seem a little more positive. Yeah. If you're if you're gonna talk shit about anybody, post a fucking picture of yourself before you do it. And I know it's prepared for positivity, but you being a douchebag online talking about anybody, I don't care. If it's Deanna Peraza or Eddie Kingston or fucking Butterbean, 
Don't be hiding behind some emoji. Don't be hiding behind a fucking avatar of Roman Reigns or fucking um or or a fucking anime character. Be be an adult. Post your picture of your hideous self before you say anything, and I guarantee you won't because you're a coward. Shut your ass up and leave these people alone who bust their ass day in and day out in this position of being a professional wrestler who put in the work not just in the ring but in the gym to be themselves. And you know what? Not everybody has six packs abs. Six packs abs doesn't define if somebody's in shape. It's what they do getting themselves um, that makes them healthy, that makes their heart healthy. And I know that because I'm talking from experience. I'm not somebody who has fucking six packs abs, but I bust my ass just like many of the other town dudes in in the gym day in and day out to be able to, to be heart healthy and live and live a healthy life. So shut your ass up when you hide behind those fake ass avatars. Well, I will say something because there's really no way to be positive about these things. Um, I don't care if you look like the judge. I don't care if you are the most fit person in the world, right? The idea that you can get online uh, again and say these things about people, to say these things about how they look and all this stuff and whatever, again, I just say don't. I mean, I know... I don't think you I don't think anyone has ever thought they were helping. Ever. I don't think they you I don't think no. I, I, I don't think you think you're helping. I don't think you're like gonna get her in shape or whatever. I'm like, hey, is there any is there things in the world can make people look more flattering, better, worse, or anything else? Absolutely. But is it your business to get online, tag them or don't tag them or whatever and talk shit about them? No. Stop being a dick. You know, you can. Everybody can have personal preferences, right? Everybody can have personal preference. Keep the fucking preferences to yourself. That's it. Keep it to yourself. Tell your friends. Get on your phone with your friend and shit talk whoever you want to because you know that's what you and your friends are for. But don't go on social media talking shit about people. It's pointless. I I am very much understand that wrestling is a cosmetic business, and I I absolutely have my preferences on what I like to see and what I don't like to see, absolutely just like anyone else. But am I going on social media and calling people fat or blah blah? blah? That woman's in phenomenal shape, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If she was four hundred and fifty pounds. It doesn't matter. She is what she needs to be to perform her job she is what is required for her job if she was out of shape blah 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 tony khan or the people of power b they their deal with that you're not the person to address that online leave that shit alone that's all i that's really all i wanted to say i'm not defending i'm not defending anybody i am saying flat out keep that shit to yourself choke on it die on it suffocate on it i don't care this is probably the least positive thing because I'm ever going to say because I don't really like the whole bullying asshole thing on Twitter. If you ever go to my Twitter, it's very innocuous, right? If I have something shitty to say about somebody, I say it to my friend. I say it to JR on the phone and it dies right there, right, JR? I'm not saying yeah. I don't say shitty things. I'm not. I am not going to say I'm perfect. I am not. Oh. Because <laughs> obviously, just when we go on my asshole rant, like I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah, but we have preferences. Everyone does. But there's some preferences you can keep to your fucking self. In this, talking about Deanna Perazzo or any other wrestler, I see Nyla Rose gets a lot of it. Fuck you. If you feel the need to get on social media, do it. Find something else to fucking do. 
anything else to do. Uh, Yo, Deanna, Diana J, didn't mean to get away from the match. Deanna, I am so happy with AW. She's a, such a phenomenal wrestler. I thought her and Anna J had a really solid match. Deanna, it was fairly quick, though. Deanna finished her with her uh, Venus de Milo because they're really trying to get Deanna over. I think Deanna versus Tony is the logical match for uh, Revolution that's coming up. After the match, uh, Renee Young, uh, Renee uh, Paquette, I called her her old name. Uh, Renee Paquette said she'd like to meet with you, uh, but the champ is right there. Is there anything you'd like to say to her? Absolutely, Tony. I don't know what's gotten into you. We've known each other. Uh, okay, Tony Storm was hilarious with this one. I know some people don't like the whole Tony thing, but I thought this was particularly hilarious. Hold on a second. Uh, all right. Apps, uh, I don't know what's gotten into you. We've known each other for a long time. It used to be like sisters. And it's clear since I've ride in AEW that you changed, but you know what? So have I. I may have been friends. You may have been friends with Deanna Ferrazzo, but you have never met the greatest technical wrestler in the world, the Virtuosa. Tony, technical. You're technical. Well, technically speaking, you're artificially tanned hacked. My past is none of your concern. I ought to march right in the ring and sock you right in, the bo- right in that box. But we must go to commercial. So chin up, tits out, and watch for the shoe. Mariah May threw a shoe at Deanna. Deanna threw it back. Tony, you're toast. You're going down. Lucy carried Tony away on the shoulder. What do you think about Tony Storm's new finisher, the box punch, sir? It, I, dude, I'm gonna be honest. I, I just, I love Tony's character, but sometimes she cuts promos that just completely loses me. Like I, and I saw this be a thing online, like about the box punch, and I was like, did she mean like, did she say bollocks? No, like, box, actually, like the vagina. Oh, she, she like, said she was gonna punch her in the pussy. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, did, I, I, this. This will be well. We're off the road. I've we're said fuck. Show, I was like, I'll say I've said fuck like six times in this episode. So no, I think this. I said asshole. Like, <laughs> like, so, like, we'll be positivity has gone out the window like about at least twenty minutes. Ago, hey, but cussing is you can say fuck <laughs> yeah, and that's a positive thing. Okay. <laughs> so so no. um, I, well, I was I just wonder like, is it gonna be like just a straight like? a straight hand or an uppercut or like, or like, you know, like just how is it going to be delivered? It's just, man, it's just, it's what I love. It's the thing that British, British, she's Australian. But when you do something in an accent and you use like a term that's not normally used, the shit you can get away with. And she's like, I'm going to punch you in the vagina. People would be like, they probably would have had to beep it. <laughs> but she can say the box, which is the same thing. <laughs> and she might have meant, you know, she I know she can twist it. She's like, I'm punching the box. You know what the ring is kind of shaped like? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm just saying she can flip it if she wanted to. But we all knew what she was saying, which was huh fucking hilarious that she got away with it. It was like oh, it, 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 it's it, even it, better if you say like people don't know it's like it's even better if you say it the language like and as and the only language I know you know a little bit about is, is Spanish like there are things I hear it's been like Pentagon or um, Ray Mysterio they said things and I was like oh man that should have been beat but because it's Spanish you know they don't pay attention correct so yeah I remember uh, 
um, but Godfather was telling a story about Rolla Fatty for Pimp Daddy, and he told him a Fatty was a cigar. They didn't know it was a blunt, <laughs> like weed. And he's like, yeah. So we got we got away with it because the censors didn't know what it was. And I was like, that that felt like this. Um, uh, top Flight versus Private Party, and you t- asked me a year and a half, two years ago, before all the injuries happened, man, I'd been so excited for this match. This was a good match. This was a good match. You know, uh, I always say, you know, sometimes, you know, we talked about a wrestler's leave bullets in the chamber. You know, they don't necessarily give everything on uh, on one. Uh, this is a particular case where I felt like top flight and private party, this was a dynamite match. They only had a certain amount of time. They gave you something. They gave you a little something, something. They gave you a teaser. They didn't give it to all to you. Uh, uh, at the end, Private Party hit Gin and Juice on Dante. Darius ran in to make the save, but Mark Quinn rolled him up and with the help of the rope, scored the pin. You know why that was confusing, right? Who the fuck was illegal? I lost track. Yeah, like, did they hit the... They were hitting so many spots, I was like, y'all lost me now. Yeah, no, even at the moment, I was like, was he even legal? Because he made the save. So, if he made the save from the thing, that means the person that was getting pinned was legal. So, he shouldn't then be able to get pinned. Wrestling, again, wrestling. Uh, But, uh... The new look private party going go, go, going to their heel ways get the win over uh get the win uh Excalibur wondered if it was intentional or if it was just instinct either way top flight felt like they were robbed uh, Action and Dreddy came out because you know Action and Dreddy's a good friend he came out to defend his guys and you know private party's like nah we out we won a Darby and uh, Sting video package aired which is great. And, uh, they said the story, you know, the story's never about the beginning and it's about the end and it's going to end with Darby and Sting as world champions. So they are Darby and Sting officially challenging Ricky Starks and Big Bill for the AEW World Tag Team Champions. Which, you know, Sting and Darby are undefeated as champions, like 26 and 0 or some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, next match, Samoa Joe versus Hook. I thought this did, like, like, I remember Sting and Ric Flair, you know, like their first match at the Clash of Champions. And the old goal was like, you're going to make, you got to make Sting look like a million bucks. So when we do make him world champion, it's not a surprise. And I think it took like five or six years before he became world champion. But that, it was put in the back of people's mind. I thought... So Moa Joe and Hook pulled off the same thing in this match. They did not go to the 60-minute draw like Sting and Ric Flair did. But the hope spots, uh, Hook kicking out at one, the aggression, him coming out from the beginning, uh, attacking, attacking. It's Hook, is Hook ready to be champion now? No. But this match said and set this table that Hook is going to be a future AEW World Champion. I thought Samoa Joe and Hook both performed their responsibilities perfectly in this match. In a brilliant, I thought it was a great match. I probably liked it probably more than anyone else out there because of me being an 80s guy, and this is what being the champion meant back then. You made young guys look. You made young guys. Everybody you beat, 
you still make it look good, even in a loss. Samoa uh, Hook goes uh, for red rum. Samoa Joe then reverses it and uh, reverses it into uh, the uh, what's he uh, the Kahina clutch, and uh, he Hook doesn't tap out. He passes out, and after the match. Uh, Samoa Joe's leaving the ring. Hook gives him the middle finger. Samoa Joe comes back and gives him the muscle buster. Uh, Samoa Joe's leaving again, and he's about to attack him again, but this time Hangman comes out and makes the save because Hangman's a good guy. Hangman and Samoa Joe kind of look at each other as Samoa Joe walks out, and Samoa Joe looks to the left, and who's there uh, always watching? His other challenger, Swerve Strickland. So it looks like... Like, all intents and purposes, it looks like we're getting a, uh, a triple threat at Revolution. I personally want Samoa Joe in a one-on-one match at Revolution, so I hope it's not a triple threat, but it looks like that's where we're leaning. Sir, what did you think of the match, and what happened after the match? Well, I enjoyed the match because it was brutal, and I love hard-hitting, strong-style, brawling-type matches, and, you know, almost as much as anything else, as much as the technical matches. Samoa Joe put, put Hook through the ringer, and Hook stood his ground, and, you know, he got his comeback, and and the finish was in a way that really protected Hook, and, you know, because he didn't tap out, he didn't say I quit, he wasn't pinned, he passed out. And um, it was a loss that, it's, it's, a, it's a victory and a loss in a sense because it, it elevated Hook to another level and made him, in the eyes of many, look like a badass. And and the example I would give, and I was saying this to you um, last night, was I remember it was a 2002, The Undertaker fought Jeff Hardy um, in a ladder match for the WWE Championship. At the time, like, Jeff Hardy was one of those guys that was getting, like, a lot, a lot of... Um, a lot of fan backing, especially after, you know, the the TLC matches, the ladder matches with the Dudleys and Edge and Christian. And at this point, you know, WWE just did the brand split and Jeff Hardy was about to, you know, go on a, on a singles run. And this kind of like, it didn't, it didn't propel him into the main event picture, but it definitely pushed him into a level where people could see him and be like, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him being like intercontinental champion. I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, becoming a single star in that in that main event role because at this point he was already surpassed. He was surpassed by some of his counterparts like Edge and Christian, who who went on to already have singles runs as intercontinental champion. So, um, and and I know Jeff did at the time against you know 2001, but it was very short and he just wasn't didn't have that same momentum. And you need that, like you need something that's going to elevate you know your next generation because. I've said this, you know, before with a, you know, when AW is creating, I know we said over the years of doing all things elite, but some of these guys, whether it's Kenny Omega, even the young bucks. And then now you have older guys who's helped carrying the company like Christian cage and Adam Copeland. Like you got to start building some of these younger talents that you invested time and money into, because they're the ones that's going to have to carry this, this company in the next, you know, I've been saying, you know, two to three years, but two to three years is, is getting very close to being here. So I, I really do, you know, I really thought it was it was good for Hook. And, you know, when you look at the various championships that AEW has now with the International Championship, with the Continental, the Continental Championship, with the TNT Championship, any one of those could be for the taking for Hook. And, you know, in the next, in, in 2024. And 
people love him and he's a great athlete. That's one of the things that the first time I saw him in the ring and I we and I remember covering all things with you, I was like, my God, this guy is this kid is a prodigy. He gets it. He's good. Even even in his first the first matches that he was having on AEW. And so um I think, you know, I hope twenty twenty four elevates him to where you see him more in getting closer to that TNT championship or that Connell championship or that international championship. As far as the, the aftermath, you know, uh, you know, Hangman is trying to get late claim to that that AEW championship and, you know, getting put in that main event spot, but I don't know, man, like I love Samoa Joe, but Swerve is on another level since since his, since getting to that feud with Hangman, you know, he is an amazing villain that people love. And he has a lot of support for him to get that championship. It's one of the things you and I talk about how funny AEW... One of the things that's funny about AEW is fans will book a person into a championship. And then as soon as they as soon as they win, they will book the person that's going to beat him for that championship. And people are have been booking Swerve to be Samoa Joe for that championship. I will always tell people when they think people should just put on the title whenever they say they put on the title look at that hangman oh my god how satisfying was it to be it was in minnesota right mm-hmm. when it finally happened the disappointment of all out you know with the uh, uh, dark order all the disappointments when you're hangman built to you being right there from when he won the title right yeah and, and it's just like it meant more right because you had the disappointment so i you know i know people in wwe or I mean or people in wrestling we are we live in the internet phase everything happens now now time happens now now strike while the iron's hot strike while the iron's hot but when you build up the idea that if you want it as fans enough we're gonna immediately give it to you it it breaks your booking you have to somewhat stick to your plans. And I do think Swerve should be a champion. I think he should have a fucking long title run. But you have to do it in the time that you planned and you have to do it right. Because no matter who, how much people want you to be champion, no matter how much people want, I'll use in WWE Cody to be champion or whatever. As soon as he wins the title, within 15 minutes of him winning the title, there will be someone speculating who's going to take the title from him. And I say 15 minutes, honestly, two minutes. Right? I, dude, I'm gonna be, I've already seen it. I've seen people book, oh, Swerve is going to win the belt over Samoa Joe, and it could be in a three-way. It's the same thing. And then people say, and then uh, Hangman's going to beat Swerve. Yeah. So, I've already, and yeah. Then, we haven't even got that point yet. Yeah, we're moving. Also, that may be happening in, in in November at Full Gear. They're already talking about it last year. So it's like people start speculating and moving ahead. So it's your job as the wrestling booker promoter to stick to stick to your plan. You know, adjust when need be. When people are like they should have called the audible. No, you should never call the audible. You should always stick to your plan. And why never? I mean, 99 out of 100 times, you shouldn't call the audible. Does it come up every now and then where, hey, you know what? I didn't know this was going to get this hot. Let's call the audible. I guess. But in general, you should stick to your plans. They stuck to their first four champions at AEW, and their first four champions in AEW were amazing. Right? Their first four champions were awesome in AEW. And... They stuck to it, and it's just like 
after that first floor, you know, when the people got hurt and things like that, they never really got to get back to their storytelling. So I'm like, man, stick to your plans because your plans tend to be fucking awesome. So and then this is this is Floyd from ATE. If you Tony Khan ever listen to the show, just keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing right now, awesome. Every week. Focusing on wrestling. Focusing the world title is the most important thing in your company. That's how it always should be. If you want to tell stories, you have all the other time in the show to tell your stories and to have your devil and all that stuff. The world title picture should stay pure. That's what I think. But, you know, whatever. Swerve, Hangman, I I still think one of them should beat each other out. I think Samoa Joe, amazing wrestler, and he can do anything. But I think his strength is one-on-one matches. And I think his title defense at Revolution should be a one-on-one match. What do you think? Do you are you for the triple threat or do you think it should be one on one? I'm 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 not really a fan of of multi man matches. It's like it's just not my thing. Like it, I like elimination matches, but like just you know where anybody can get pinned has just never been my thing. I would shy away from it, but the story that they've been telling is kind of unique in in a way where it's like. They're still kind of trying to maintain this hangman and swerve thing, but swerve's trying his goal to get to the title, but so is hangman. So I can see it collide where it can make sense. Um, I think it could be fun. I think it could be fun with the three of them involved. But th- th- my idea, I've always said a three way match, uh, a three way fatal four way should be a match. You should only use those in title matches when the title's vacant, right? First person get appearance wins the title because the title's vacant. But I am never for a champion losing this title without getting pinned. Just not for it. I hate it. I hate it. I think if you're going to do three-man matches or four-man matches and the title's on the line, it should be an elimination match. That's how I see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But that's how I, it's just like when you talk about sports-based competition, how do you lose a title without losing? And what sport can you do that? I mean, none. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm like I'm thinking. I mean, I'm trying to think of the things I've seen, like darts. Like I'm thinking, like is, is there a game? Is there a, a pool game? Like I can't think of anything where you don't have to take a pit where you don't you don't lose. Yeah, like only thing I can think of is college football because Florida State didn't win the national title without you know. The boy, you better lose. stop being on a random tangent about that. losing a game. No, just like no, I I was thinking real hard. Now, I, like I had forgot all about that one, but that's literally uh, like, and you know, every sport to win the championship, you know, you got to beat someone. You know, you got to lose. You know, so I don't like that idea that you can be in a triple threat match and be the champion and you know not lose. You know, that's weird. So I think. If me, I would get rid of them in general. If, if it's my wrestling world, and uh, if there was a title match with more than two people, it would be an elimination match. So even if Hangman and Swerve teamed up and took out Samoa Joe first, right, and Samoa Joe got screwed, it's still, you know what I mean? It's still, you know, he still lost. So, uh, but yeah, uh, that was Dynamite. Uh, quick, 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 quick preview of uh, what's going to happen. Uh, oh, AW Dynamite draws best 18 to 49 ratings since uh, Grand Slam. It looks like they had 890, uh, eight, 
891,000 total viewers, up 12% from last week, and a point three three. And yeah, point three three reading. That's up fourteen percent from last week's point two nine. It's the best number since Grand Slam. Uh, Joe retaining uh, his world title against Hook. It looks like Hook's a draw. Hook? No, no. I, I, I know. I, th- I just think the idea. I think that I, you know, if the ratings are going up, I think it's because they are going back to wrestling. I think that's what their original audience wanted when they were doing point threes and hires every week. Uh, was what the original audience wanted, and then they're kind of getting back to that soul. So I think some people that might have checked out might be checking back in, and of course the Young Bucks came back. I mean, I know you don't like the Young Bucks, but the AEW fan base likes the Young Bucks. No comment. No comment. No comment. So uh, that's it for that. Uh, What was... I had the notes from... You know, I was going to say this. This is a good time, though, like, to try to do what you can to, you know... You know, numbers are weird, and I, one of the things, like, we talk about... I, I When I say we, not Floyd and I, uh, the online community talks a lot about ratings. And, and I want to say, just really quickly, because I'm sure I've said this before, like, I actually just read um, a Nielsen report about viewership and we're at a time where, like, actual television viewership is at a low. I'm talking about, I think, according to the Nielsen uh, viewership report, like, actual cable viewership represents, like, 30% of entertainment viewership. The other 70% is online viewers, like, online watching, whether it's YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, whatever, like streaming services are dominating the market now where people are getting rich from. So people are like, when people say AEW is dying, W is dying, nobody's watching. Like you really don't know because traditional cable is becoming obsolete. More and more people are moving to streaming services or or online. Or, Or just flat out stealing it. Just going to a streaming site. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> those, those are heavily prevalent I see them all the time in Facebook groups hey do you have a site where I can watch it yeah go to www.whatever like yeah, know, I, was, I can tell you the site but I ain't no snitch so <laughs> um, it just it's it's really a thing so like you know everybody's like man they're only doing 800 they're only doing 900,000 like and I said I'm pretty sure I said 900,000 may be the new 2 million 1.4 million may be the new 3 million like and the only thing that matters, and it's true, and I'm sure Meltzer or someone said this, the only thing that matters really is what the networks think and what they're paying for. Because what they're paying for is going to dictate what is successful and what is not successful. Because we cannot just rely on traditional numbers anymore. But I will say this is a good time to build up because after Christmas – Everybody's broke. No one's trying to go anywhere. They're sitting at home watching television or something. Yep. 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 Well, the quick preview of Rampage, we ended up these matches, Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy advertised. Heard it was a banger. Uh, Chris Jericho versus Matt Sedell. This is the first time they wrestled in 13 years since a WWE house show where Evan Bourne actually beat Chris Jericho. Uh, Chris Statlander versus Queen Amanada and Penta El Cerro Medal 
versus Anthony Henry. Oh, that's your matches for Rampage. And for Collision, what we have announced so far is Edge Open Challenge. Uh, we got Eddie Kingston and Ortiz versus uh, Brian Danielson and Claudio. Uh, Mox returns and Daniel Garcia versus Buddy Matthews. And now, and that's our AEW coverage for the week. And now, so if you're done with AEW, you got your AEW news, this is where you jump off. But if you want to hear about my friend's experience going to Japan, New Japan, Wrestle Kingdom, all the wrestling and stuff that he experienced, uh, yeah, that's what's about to happen right now. Uh, again, uh, thank you, thank you for listening if you're jumping off now, but I hope you stay on and listen to this. So, JR, let's talk about Japan. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give your Japan experience, sir? I give it a solid 9, and the only reason I don't give it a 10 is coming from America to Japan, the travel, it, it can be very exhausting. Um, it's a, from um, California to Tokyo, nonstop is a 12-hour flight. It's a long time to be in the plane. Um, and then, like, as I mentioned, the, the time, the, the 17 hours ahead for where I live on the west coast of, of the United States of America and California, then that's not including getting to the airport, going through TSA, waiting for your flight, hoping there's no delays, then getting onto your plane, getting off the plane, going through immigration and customs in another, in another country, uh, getting your luggage and then trying to get to your hotel. Um, you know, I think all in total, if I do the math correctly in my head, by the time I got to the airport, we're looking probably a total of 18 to 19 hours of travel time from the time I got to the airport, which I actually stayed right next to the airport the night before to ensure there were no issues with traffic getting to the airport. The night before, um, so the, I got up, getting to the airport, doing all that, and then getting to my hotel. And then just just the time difference. For the, the first five days, I was getting up at 4 in the morning every day, and I could not sleep. And and Japan is a country, um, or Tokyo, I should say. I don't want to put the whole country on this, but Tokyo really does not get up before 10 a.m. It's very difficult to find places that will be open before 10 a.m., especially if you're looking for something to eat. They really don't do breakfast. They don't do as, you know, as we would have in America or even in, in Europe. They don't do eggs and some sort of meats and, and bread. Typically, their breakfast is um, a version of an egg that's done in a, uh, different ways than we're probably used to. And then fish, soup, and rice typically. But they don't really do breakfast, so it was, it was hard to find a breakfast place. Um, typically what I did was go to 7-Eleven and get, uh, as they call them, egg sandos and a fruit sando. And I would eat that with an apple and a sugar-free monster every day for breakfast. Um, so that was, you know, I know you kind of started what we got rated. I don't know if you had any other questions you want me to just ramble on. No, I, I you know, that was, you know, that ratings... Uh, th that rating thing was to get you started to have kind of a starting point. Um, uh, let's see. So you talked about the sandwiches, Seven Eleven. That was a big topic of discussion as sure. far as, as far as it. So what type of food did you have at Seven Eleven? 
So seventy, there's three main stores, like convenience stores, that are very integral to Tokyo. Seven Eleven, Lawson's, and Family Mart. And there was a Seven Eleven. You can find them probably on every other block. There was one block where I would get the train, and right next to the steps to get the train was a Lawson's, and literally right across the street was another Lawson's, and then down the street was was a Family Mart, and then on the other side was a Seven Eleven. They're just everywhere, and when I tell you, like, they come in clutch, they come in clutch. The first thing is you need money. So um, a lot of places, you know, credit card's fine. But a lot, of pla- a lot of places, especially if you're shopping, like, at in on street markets and stuff like that, you need cash. You have to have cash. Or in Tokyo, it's yen. So 7-Eleven has, I think, the best ATM conversion that I've seen going international um, where you can get it. I don't feel like they charge an outrageous amount to convert money. And when I say convert money, I mean, you're having a U.S. bank and you're needing to get money out. So the transaction rate and conversion rate, I don't think was that bad. Um, now, also, uh, let me also add real quickly on a tangent. Right now, the U.S. dollar is extremely strong against the yen. So currently, last I checked, one U.S. dollar is equivalent to 145 yen. And... Um, to kind of tell you also about affordability, why 7-Eleven, those places are, are important, are great, is when you need, like, bottles of water, or for me, like, I like energy drinks, or you want snacks, they're, the like, super affordable. Number one, a sugar-free monster, I drink one every day in the States, I'm probably paying two fifty to $3 for one. In Japan, there were 200, there was uh, 215 yen, that's less than two bucks. Um, it's like, I don't even think it's, a, I'm, off the top of my head, I don't even think it's a dollar fifty. A sandwich, um, an egg sando, fruit sando, or any type of sandwich is anywhere from two sixty five to three hundred, which is basically in between a dollar twenty five to three bucks. Uh, snacks between seventy cents to a dollar fifty. I mean, extremely affordable when you need something, especially if you're on the go and you need something quick, or you're in your hotel room and you want a snack. They it just it's they come in very handy. Even if you're going to, if you find like a supermarket, there was one next to our hotel room or a grocery store. Um, they they're also very you know extremely affordable as well. And the other thing about those places, at um, the grocery store we went to at five o'clock, every the meals they made and they make fresh meals like daily. Whether it's sushi, whether it's um, like a rice bowl, a noodle bowl, whatever. They put them on sale for like thirty to 40, thirty to fifty percent off because they want it gone. So when they have it there, like by the Best Buy day, like if you want something for dinner, you go there. You can find, you know, you can get like a sushi box that for five bucks, and it's good. Like it's good quality. You know what they're serving. Same thing with like rice bowls and noodle bowls. Yeah, and that sounds amazing, and it sounds really really cheap. Um, how'd you get around? So they. Uh, Japan has probably the best transit system probably in all of the entire world. They have a Tokyo Metro line. They have the JRL, and I'm going to mess this up, but it's called like the Oedo line. Those are the three lines that kind of go through Tokyo. And um, there's also like private lines. If you ever try to use like the, if you try to get like a bullet, bullet train, there's private lines for that as well. But JRL also has bullet trains. If you ever try to go from city to city. And um, all you do is you can either download the app, um, what's called the Suica, Suica card. It's like S-U-I-C-A. 
or you can even just go if you have like Apple Wallet. I don't know, I'm not sure if it's in Google and like in um, if you have Android, if and it's an Android wallet, but you can actually just down, put the card that you're trying to add to your wallet, and then you just put in the amount that you need. Um, having the app, I found out is better because I actually, excuse me, I went to Saitama, which is a different city, for an event, and. On that particular line, you can get reserved seats, which reserve is a lot better. It was like 500 yen, which is like less than $4 where you have a reserved seat and you don't have to worry about any messing with you. Don't, when I say messing with you, you don't have to worry about like being anybody's space. Because one thing, sometimes you get on trains, there could be a lot of space and they could be zero space, especially if it's like when people are trying to get to work or coming from work. I mean, those trains could be packed. Reserve seating. You have your own seat, and, and you don't have to worry about anybody in, in, in your bubble. And so when you have the app on your phone, the actual app, you can, like, pre-order, hey, I have a reserved seat to go from here to here. So that makes it a lot easier. And, in fact, um, the cards itself, they're actually trying to get away from giving out cards. They only give them out to foreigners uh, because they want people to utilize it on, on the phone. And it's all you do is on your phone, they have, like, a – a scanner you just type, put your phone onto it and it just take it tells you okay it scans you in through the doors and then when you leave the train station you scan out and then it tells you how much you know your your fare was but it is i mean amazing and the other thing when they tell you that train is going to be there at 11 35 that train's going to be there at 11 35 it's not going to be there a minute early it's not going to be there a minute late it will be there on the dot like clockwork unless there's some sort of crazy delay it will never not miss their times. There was not a single time that I went to get a train, and when it said it was going to be at the time, it never missed that time. That's great, because when I was in London, they were, like, never <laughs> at the time that it was supposed to be. It was always at least a few minutes late, sometimes 30 minutes an hour, trains went off the tracks, all that kind of stuff. Not saying that's a bad thing about London, it was just a fact of that's exactly what happened. Um, uh, okay. Gotta talk about the main things. The events that you did. I know you did Disney, you did some wrestling. Start with yeah. whichever one you want to. Let's start with the non-wrestling stuff. Yeah. So How was Disney? Let me get to, I'll get Maybe, to you okay, one okay. of the things I did. So the first thing was we started going sightseeing. So we hit up um, Japan, Tokyo itself. Basically, it's like, it's so, it's, it's so condensed and, and population dense, but there's so many like neighborhoods and areas and communities that you want to go to. So you have Tokyo and then you have areas like um, Shinjuku, Akasaka, Asakusa, Ueno, Harajuku, Shibuya, like in each of those areas you can spend a day in because all of a sudden you go there for something and you see a street, you're like, what's down there? And you follow down that street and then all of a sudden it's like a complete like another district that you can see of things to places to shop or eat. Um, the first place we went to, we went to Agasaka, did some sightseeing of that area. It's great for shopping. Um, the, the next day, which was... Uh, Saturday, I met up with a friend and we went to Shibuya and he took us around um, that area and that's where um, that's where they have like the crazy like crossing where all of a sudden like all like the walk lights come on and it just seems like masses converge all over 
if you if you haven't seen it, like you can just like Google whatever Shibuya Crossing and just see like just how hundreds of people just like just go at at one time into that that area. Um, we also saw the Tokyo Tower, um, which was really you know when I saw the Eiffel Tower, so seeing Tokyo Tower, which was kind of similar, was was neat and just really getting a chance for me uh, and Floyd knows like I diet really pretty hardcore on a consistent basis. The only time I ever deviate off my diet, which is pretty much like egg whites and chicken breasts and salads is when I go on trips. So for me going to another country and trying their different cuisines is like a big thing for me. So getting a chance to have sushi and ramen and, um, um, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna say it's right. It's called ok- okonyaki. I'm already messed it up. Basically, it's like a version of like a noodle pancake with eggs. That um, is just very unique and different. That I really enjoyed having uh, their cuisine. Um, the the first event I went to, which was on New Year's Eve, was Saitama, Saitama and Ryzen FC, which was essentially the grandson of Pride FC, which was. At one time, the biggest MMA company in the world, bigger than UFC, um, they host a New Year's Eve event. And it's I've always been told about how big these New Year's Eve events are. So it was one of my goals was to go to it. Went to Saitama and just seeing, you know, it's a good size arena. I think they had over 23,000 people there for, for the show. And I got a chance to um, sit with the people who came from other countries. I sat next to a couple from New Zealand who had been in Japan for a while. It was it was a great experience. Um, if you're like you know Floyd knows like I'm I'm always like sometimes when I get to an event like I got a snack I got to have something to eat. For concession prices at all events were extremely affordable. Like, um, like I, I always compare it to liquor. So like you know you go to an event in, in the states a beer is like anywhere from like fifteen to twenty dollars. In Japan a beer was five bucks. Like that's how affordable you know things are in japan even the concessions at arenas the uh leaving saitama came back on new year's day new year's day in that time in in japan is a very spiritual time where they with family and also um paying your respects to the different temples that individuals uh, may um be involved with and um, around our area that we're staying in, there was um, a few temples. Um, there, the temple it's for Shintoism, I believe. And you know, we were able to go and and to be around individuals who were there. And we just we wanted to kind of embrace the, the culture and and really just kind of take in their experiences. And there was a lot of people who were there and paying their respects by giving offerings of different varieties um, to to the temple. Um, there was food, there was, you know, song and dance, there was music at, at one of them that we went to. And it was it was a really cool experience because it's completely different than what we are used to in in America and seeing the, you know, the time, time score ball drop on New Year's Eve. Um, in fact, when I got to my hotel in Saitama on New Year's Eve, I, I tried to find one of the local stations. And what they were doing for like the last 10 or 15 minutes was showing the, the different temples around Japan and when it was time for, you know, the 10, 9, 8 countdown for New Year's Eve, I mean, for New Year's Day, it was actually a, um, one of the temples, um, they had this massive, like, it looked like a battering ram that the uh, 
individuals who are part of that particular temple used to strike a bell to signal the new year. And it was just a really, you know, really cool experience to be able to be a part of that. Did go to Tokyo Disney. I forgot one thing. Not a fan of massive crowds and massive lines. Um, there was a lot of people who were there on holiday because during that that time, that spiritual time, which is essentially around from New Year's Eve to January 3rd, um, many places are closed down, either for all four days, could be two days, could be three days. So on January 2nd, there was a lot of people who came to Tokyo Disney because of the holiday break. And um, it's a lot smaller than Disneyland in California. Um, obviously, it was way smaller than than. Disney World in Orlando, Florida, but it was, you know, cool to experience because seeing what they had compared to what I experienced when I went to Disneyland in California, um, trying, you know, different foods, like we had different pastries, like a melon bread that they had and a, a puff pastry they had, um, some even different drinks that they had. It was really, it was a really cool experience. And, you know, my wife liked it. Um, it was cold. It fortunately kind of started raining on us, but uh, it was cool seeing the parades and stuff. Going into um, the, the day after that, before Wrestle Kingdom, we went to a different area to um, to look around and and see what what that place had to offer. And um, that's one of the things I, I say. I always tell people, especially when you go to other countries, you know. And I tell Floyd this all the time. Like I know people travel for events, but really try to like car- carve out. If you're already paying the airfare and you're already going to be there, take like two or three days to get a you know extra time at a hotel to just like you know try to go around and see what the local the local culture is and the, the different food offerings they have and and see the sites because you know I don't know for me it, it is kind of a once in a lifetime experience being in certain places at certain times. Okay, okay, uh, yeah, I. You know, I, I I've talked about it last week going to the, uh, on the show going to Japan and like everything you've told me about it makes me want to experience it. I'm like I always said it was like the UK was like it's like everybody speaks English, but it's so not America in every other way. It's not America, so it was always uh, interesting to me going there. So, all right, before we get into the full wrestling events, talk about your time with one of my favorite favorite people I've ever met, Miss Issa. Uh, you know, um, so on New Year's Day, uh, Isa, who is uh, was in Japan, uh, Isa is, is an amazing photographer of professional wrestling. I think some of the work she's done um, taking photos is is tremendous. And, um, yeah, she's on. Uh, she's like one of. She's had stuff po- published in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. If you want to follow her on Twitter, it's at Asita Marie. It's I S S I T A. M A R I E. She posts like pictures all the time. She's always being published. She's amazing. So just throwing that out there about my friend. She she's just one of those people. If you ever met her, I I don't know many people that have actually met her and spent time around her that don't like her. You people, anybody that I've never met that said, "Oh, I don't like her," it's generally like jealousy because she does go all the way around the world and sees a shit ton of wrestling. So um. You know, when, you know, I, I'm a, I'm kind of a loner in general. Like for me, to me, Floyd is honestly is a miracle in itself because I don't like to talk to people. I like to go up to people. I'm a very big introvert. 
it's hard for me to get to, to get to know individuals. Um, and I knew Issa through, through, uh, through Floyd and, and one of our, me and Floyd's friend, Tiffany. And, you know, we kind of talked briefly through, um, you know, through social media uh, about the trip. Cause I knew Issa, you know, she had had spent time in Japan and loves, loves Japan and, and Japanese wrestling. And I knew she was going to be there. And, um, for me, I, I guess I'm a loner, but my wife and my mother who was with us, you know, they they love meeting people. They love meeting new people and, and they love talking with different individuals. Hell, it was actually funny on the flight. My mother was sitting in front of me, um, was, finished, was sitting in front of my wife and I, and she was sitting next to this individual who uh, was from Japan. And I think half the flight, she was talking to this random stranger that she was never going to talk to again because my mom is just a natural talkative person. So when Issa was there, I, you know, I kind of, I messaged her before I said, you know, if you're going to be there, you know, I would love to try to, you know, to meet up with you, but, you know, to have a meal with, um, with, you know, my family, you know, I would love for them to meet you as well. Um, you know, I think especially because at times I'm a lot as, as who I am as a person and uh, I think sometimes my family needs a break from me. And um, I always uh, love introducing my wife to other people who are in wrestling, especially um, female wrestling fans, because yeah, I feel like it's such a small population of, of female wrestling fans. It's kind of, you know, when the time comes, if it comes up again and my wife comes to goes to an event and she ha- she may happen to, hey, there's Issa, you know, I know her. I and you know, that you can spend time with her again. And, you know, it's one of the things where I always want my family to feel comfortable around people and, and my wife to feel comfortable, especially my wife who goes to events with me. And so, you know, we sat down and um, we went to this uh, place that was um, Japanese cuisine with a little Western twist. It was kind of a, a unique place that we went to that my friend, uh, my friend who lives in Japan forwarded to me um, for New Year's Day as they would get a reservation. And then, I swear, Issa, Issa was like a long lost relative. I mean, we we sat down and I mean, we must have spent I don't know if it was like I think three or four hours at. I mean, the restaurant essentially they were closing down. And they had to tell us to leave. That's how long we were at the restaurant for. I mean, they were just like, dude, like we're done. Like, can you pay your bill and leave? Because we, especially you know, Issa, my mom, and, and my wife, like they they talked and. And it's like, like I said, the only way I can explain it was like they were long lost relatives. I mean, it's, it's, she was like family instantly. It was, um, I enjoyed my time with, with, with her and, and, and my, my, my mother, um, you know, adored Issa and my wife loves Issa, you know, in, in just that one, that one dinner session because it's just the type of person she is. She's such a tremendous individual. And, and, uh, I, I just will I always have a special place in my heart for people that, that treat my family with kindness. Um, you know, they mean my family's happiness and, and means more to me than my own. So it, it meant a lot that she took time out of her busy day because she had a very busy schedule. I think she did like nine shows in six days. That's how busy her schedule was um, between attending and shooting. So the fact that she took time out of her day to come and spend time with my family was, you know, I, I would never, I would never forget that. Like I said, you know, she, she has a special place in my heart. Yeah, Issa's dope. I could go on and on about her awesomeness. She's actually, like, one of the first episodes of All Things Elite is me talking to Issa about wrestling. She she was 
the Kenny Omega fan. Uh, she followed around, did a Kenny Omega World Tour, a couple legs on it. I think that's when she still got into photography. I think that's what led her into photography. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's funny. Uh, first, all out. You know, I was in front row, I believe, and uh, Issa. Yeah, Issa, Kenny Omega versus Pac. Basically, Issa was sitting between me and uh, Tiffany. Uh, so, yeah, it was just one of our experiences. Yeah, just dope individuals. So, all right. All right. Now we got to get to it. Talk about the wrestle graps. Talk about the uh, wrestling shows. So, um, I only, because I was spending time traveling and, and I wanted to, you know, make sure I was available for my room, I only did two shows. During that time, though, if you actually are, if you want to go to Japan just for wrestling, DDT, Noah, all Japan, Stardom, Tokyo Joshi Pro, obviously New Japan. Um, I feel like I'm missing one more. But, I mean, those six companies, I think combined between, like, New Year's Eve to January, I think even, like, January 7th, I, you know, I think that's eight days. They must have been at least a dozen shows they put on. I mean, it, it was, there is a lot, a lot of wrestling that you can go to. Uh, you have to be careful mapping things out because Japan, it's not big, but it does take time to get from certain places to certain places because, you know, one could be in Yokohama, one could be in Saitama, one could be in Tokyo, one could be in, um, in, in you know, a, um, a different city. Like, you know, it can be spread out, so it can take an hour, hour and a half to get from one place to another, but it is doable because of public transit. It's very good. So, um so I only did two shows. I did the Stardom show on, uh, before Wrestle Kingdom. It was held at the Tokyo Dome City Hall, which is Tokyo Dome. It's actually called Tokyo Dome is a dome in Tokyo Dome City. Like Tokyo Dome City is a place that has restaurants, a hotel. It's like an amusement park. I saw I saw a uh, uh, a um, what you, a Ferris wheel. Like it is. They had restaurants there. They at the same time they had a I believe it was an Ultraman convention. Like it is a big area where a lot of things happen at once. And so um, I got there, got my tickets. Um, got, uh, the Tokyo Dome City Hall was a great venue. It was it was small and intimate, and I was sitting like in the upper level, uh, well technically be lower level, but I felt like I was right on top of the action. It was a great spot, and got a chance to see you know the start of women and. Um, one person, uh, one person I want to point out because they're signed to AW. Megan Bain is over in Japan. They loved her. They loved her. They they cheered for her. She has a great ring presence. Uh, she has a great entrance. Like she, she is somebody that AW. Like if you bring them back, you should take full advantage and just like push her to the moon because. She has that it factor. Um, she was it was it was cool to experience her. I got a chance to I'm sure I think I'm gonna mess up her name. Um, got a chance to see uh, Tekla, who I think is uh, from the match I've seen. I think is great. I, I actually heard her contracts up as well. Uh, got a chance to see Julia, whose contract is also coming up. Um, and, you know, um, it was a lot of fun. The ma- the main event was uh, Floyd helped me out. I know it was uh, Iwatani versus. Why does it slip my mind? 
Mayu versus who was it? Uh, Julia? No, it wasn't Julia. No, um, it wasn't Julia. I know it wasn't. It, oh man, it was like I know you and James both talked about it at some point, but I honestly don't remember who the match was. The that match, the match that it was um, that they had put on though as a main event, um, as as I would. The the entire show was a bunch of multi women multi woman uh, tag matches. Um, I think if I'm not off the top of my head, I'm very very confident that all of them was uh, multi women um, matches. The um, the um did you cut it, it was out? Serious, <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> no. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, six matches. There were all tag team matches. The main event was the only um, singles match. It was for the IWGP Women's Title match. It was Suri versus Mayu Iwatani. That was the that was the main event. They went almost twenty minutes. Um, it was a phenomenal match. I mean, those women tore it down. I mean, I, I feel like the show the show to me felt like it was to feature the women of stardom. Before t- before Wrestle Kingdom, um, and also because Wrestle Kingdom didn't have women matches, to have the women's the IWGP Women's Title ma- title be defended on the same day, and that was that that was the main attraction was that you got a chance to see the women of Stardom, but that was a featured match, and I mean, and they wrestled, and I'll say this, they deserve to be in the Tokyo Dome, those women, because they really did bring it, and they they went out there. And it it didn't matter if there was you know two hundred people in the crowd or or, or thirty thousand people in the crowd because they they brought it. It was it was a tremendous match and um, it was a, a fun match to see uh, between those those two ladies. I think Meltzer gave it almost five stars. I think it was four and a quarter, four and three quarter stars. He gave it. That's pretty awesome. You got to see that match. You've been to a Stardom show. I've never been to a Stardom show. That and, that might change when in Philly if you know if I still go. And from what I've, you know, what I've heard, and you know, and I, my my Japanese is terrible. It's worse, way worse than my Spanish, which is which is also pretty bad. Is you know, the, one of the big factions, Donna Del Mondo, um, that had Julia and Tecla and um, a few other talent. They disbanded, and it looks like it looks like that was potentially Julia's last match, as her contract's coming to an end very shortly. And then, you know, like I said, Tech goes on her way out, which, you know, those are two talents that I actually, when I saw Stardom, about when I started watching, I saw a few Stardom shows about a year ago, those are two women that was really drawn, that was really drawn to. Starlight Kid was another, was another woman that I saw on that card that I was, I thought was like, was really good as well. So it was good to see that in a great, you know, a, a good show to, to get kind of the day started before heading over to the Tokyo Dome for uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So... It's and to steal a line from the other big black man in your life, Mark Henry. It's time for the main event. Tell us about Wrestle Kingdom. My so dream. Heading <laughs> over to Wrestle Kingdom, so you like you see the dome, like it's you know it's a, a it's a big stadium. It's a baseball stadium, and it says Tokyo Dome on it. It just kind of like I stared at it, and I was like, man, like I'm I'm really here. Like I'm really here to see this show, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, the first thing I will say, though, is if you go, for some reason, I don't know if it's this this Wrestle Kingdom or all Wrestle Kingdom, they don't do they do not do merchandise inside the venue. There's one stand, it's outside, and that line makes an AEW merch line look like, you know, look like a walk in the park. 
That line was long. It was massive. And I was like, I am not getting that line. Thank God I was. I went to the New Japan store the day before because it was ridiculous how long, how long that line was. Um, got my tickets. And one of the unfortunate things is not knowing Japanese is I was lost. I was getting into the, you know, I got into the building and I got into the area and I knew I was sitting on the floor and I like, I got to the floor. Unfortunately, because by the time I got done with stardom, I got, got there in the middle of the Rambo and I'm like, just trying, like I'm showing people who like my ticket, like, Hey, I don't know where to like, Oh, go there. And I'm like, okay, walk over there. And I'm like, all right, I don't know where to go now. So go there. Finally, almost towards the end of the Rambo, I find my seat and, um, and it was the only time I ever had the same feeling was when I went to Madison Square Garden for the first time to see an event, and just looking up at the looking up at the ceiling and just like seeing the crowd and everybody, and I was like, man, like this is, man, you know, this is the Tokyo Dome, this is Wrestle Kingdom, this is what five five years I've, I've you know dreamed about wanting to come here, and, and it's here, and um, the uh. It was good to be there. Um, they have a great, great entrance stage. Um, you know, having that that long, long entrance um, walk you know, is reminiscent of, of WrestleMania, <clears throat> and really trying to showcase everybody. And um, you you knew when you were there, it was a big event. It, it's you know, it's it's a reason why it's called Wrestle Kingdom because it is. It is the biggest event in Japan for for them, you know. I think you know potentially for all of Japanese wrestling, Wrestle Kingdom is the biggest event period because of where it's located and the amount of people that go. Um, from bell to bell, I mean, everybody was in their seats and they were cheering. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, every talent brought it from the opening IWGP uh, Junior Heavyweight Tag Match to the main event with uh, Naito and Sonata. They all understood the assignment. They understood the, you know, how big the day was. And um, it was nonstop, you know, from match to match. Uh, for me, uh, the mat, my favorite match on the show was uh, Tama Tonga versus uh, Shingo Takagi. I thought they had an extremely uh, barn burner. It was a very fun match. I enjoyed it tremendously. I love Tama. He's, Tama is one of the reasons why I, I still watch New Japan because um, I loved I loved him and, and uh, his his brother and as Girls of Destiny. The 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 last, that was part of like the last four matches. The 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 third last match was the the new IWGP Global Title with Finley and Osprey and Moxley. Uh, Mox had a cool entrance with that was Batman inspired and and Osprey had Red a really Hood cool baby nothing like yeah. that Red Hood uh, the people of AEW love Batman I just wanted to throw that out there the uh, Osprey's Assassin's Creed entrance got a huge pop uh, no one likes Dave Finley no I mean no one wanted it. nobody wanted that dude to win it, it was and the aftermath with uh, uh, Nick Nemeth formerly known as uh, Dolph Ziggler being there and, and mixing it up like the crowd was the crowd really enjoyed it and was into it. The the co main was Danielson and, and Okada and 
I mean, what what can you say? I mean, two of the best to ever do it just had a continuation of, and they really told the story of, you know, it was a revenge match, you know, Kata wanting revenge for his loss and, and Danielson wanting revenge for, you know, for his broken arm and, and his eye. And um, that, that was a good match. I mean, it, it was a great match, not just a good match. It, it was a lot of fun seeing that. The one of the things, um, the Japanese crowd, they're very respectful so when I say they're into it, it's not the same as like going to an AW or WWE event. Like they would go, um, the, the way they would they would clap, but the way they would chant it would just be like Okada, Naito, Naito. That would be it. Like they would say that, and and that was their way of like getting into it. Like they, it, it seems kind of like meager compared to like you know in the states but i mean they were into it they were they were there for a reason the one i want to get to this point because this is very important that i, I want to say this because you know i knew I, I knew naito was big i knew okada was big and i knew tanahashi was big in in japan i don't think people realize until you go to japan how big naito is because his pop when he came out in the amount of people wearing LIJ merch was second to none. I mean, I don't think I've been to any show in America where it felt like one talent had had every almost every person in the arena like that much behind him. If it the like the comparison I have, it can't even be wrestling. It felt like I was at a home game of a sports team, and everybody there was rooting for that home team because that's how many people were cheering for Naito and were wearing Lij merch. By far the biggest applause, the biggest chant, the biggest whatever of the night was Naito. He is a star in Japan. When people say like you know. I don't know if everybody said about him coming to America, working in America. He don't need to come to America because that dude is over, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, like, when, when Cena was over in 2005 and I'm, you know, and Omega in 2019, I mean, bigger than that. It was it was so big how he was over. People love that man in Japan. Dude, so you got to be there? For the roll call, the one they've been waiting oh, for the year. What'd you think? Let me let me tell you. When Evil came out and 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 attacked Naito from behind, I would say this: I did not think that dude was going to leave that building alive because he, like, he infuriated that crowd that they were not going to get they were not going to get Naito's moment. Like it was, it it was insane saying he like that evil god and i was and it was funny because that day i made a comment uh evil had won his match and i said i think i'm the only person in uh in the tokyo dome and probably all of japan that actually kind of likes evil and after that i was like oh man i know for a fact i'm the only person that likes her because that dude was he was gonna be dead to rights in uh in the tokyo dome if it wasn't for sonata coming in and making the save and you know it was that moment was there's very few times you, like, you know, when you go to events, one of the reasons why I love to travel, but one of the reasons why I always like going to events is you typically have a moment that can, that is a, that once in a lifetime moment. 
and and that is that's the once in a lifetime moment is is having Naito do that roll call because how much it meant to that crowd for him to have that experience in that moment was was really um it was it was a, a memorable a memorable moment that I got a chance to see that I would never forget. And when he left, it was kind of like you know, and leaving the arena, and I was like, man, you know, experiencing that was 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 um was truly a blessing. You know, people talk about you know blessings or hard work. You know, and, and Floyd knows me, and I said, I'm I'm an educator. I, I work to get my college degrees and to and get an opportunity to have a job as a full time educator. And and I know it's not gonna sound like it because you know, but that's me coming from my background. Sometimes my my, uh, my, uh, as I always say, my, my, my Latino heat comes out of me, but you know, I, I, I did put the work in, but man, I've also been truly blessed to be in a position to be able to do what I do for a living that provides me the opportunities to experience these once in a lifetime moments. And, um, if you are a wrestling fan and especially if you love Japanese food and, um, I would definitely encourage anybody to go during that time, like I said, it, it starts basically, and I said December, I said December 31st, New Year's Eve. I think that back, it, it really started on December 29th um, with Stardom when they had their Queendom event. So, I mean, we're talking about a full, like, 10 days of just pure wrestling that you can find. I think the only day there wasn't wrestling was New Year's Day, actually. There was no wrestling on New Year's Day? That was the only day there wasn't anything? Yeah, that's the one day where I'm. I, I don't believe anybody rational, and and I say that because that was the one day that I, I think Issa was free. That was the only day she was free because of the other show she was working. All right, well that makes sense. Um, damn, that sounds like a full trip. It sounds like an amazing trip. You were there for a lot of days, so you got everything in. Uh, if you go back, is there anything that you missed out on this time that you would definitely do when you got back, or would it just be like a bunch of retread? Um, you know, for me, uh, yeah, I mean, there's... You can go to Tokyo, the city itself, for three weeks, and just be in Tokyo for three weeks and not see everything. Um, there's, there's a lot of little... Uh, idiosyncrasies that are different. Um, like I'll give you an example. You know, restaurants in Tokyo tend to be small. I mean, there are some places we went to, if they had 20 seats, that was a lot. And it's a lot of wait time, especially when things are not more viral. Someone's like, you got to go to this place because they have this amazing fluffy pancake or go to this place because they have this amazing ramen dish. Like, you could be waiting anywhere from one to three hours to enjoy that amazing whatever somebody may go viral um so if you that's something you do like that i want to eat but i also have limits i think my limit was we went to this place that it was a it was a, a beef cutlet that they prepared but then you grilled in a grilled on a stone in front of you yourself um i think i waited like 90 minutes for that and then like that was my limit like i was like okay i'm never gonna do this again i'd rather go eat anywhere else besides waiting in line that's not my thing is waiting in line so those are the things like that can take up time if that's something you want to do. If you're like that diehard foodie that you want to try this amazing thing that somebody on Instagram showed you. For me, there's a few places in Tokyo that I would probably try to do that I didn't get a chance to do. Um, I only got a chance to go to New Japan store. There's like two other stores that I didn't get a chance to do. There were some other neighborhoods that I didn't get a chance to go to, get a chance to see. Um, it, it is very like when I say this, 
and I had somebody ask me about my trip, and they wanted like some pointers. If you go to Japan, work on your cardio because you need cardio and you need endurance because it's an all-day affair. Like you're gonna be out at starting at a certain time around probably 10 a.m. and you're gonna want to do as much as you can, as much as you can as um, as as fast as you can. So endurance and cardio is very important on that. And so moving forward, I think moving on from Tokyo, I have a friend that lives by the beach. Um, he's actually invited us to come stay with him, and I may take him up on that. I want to try to go to Osaka um, because I heard Osaka has a lot of good things. I know, like, off the top of my head, they have Universal Studios in Osaka. There's a few places that people recommend to go eat and, and different sites to see out there. I did get a chance to go to Yokohama. I really wanted to go there, but we, we canceled that that idea to try to do more stuff in Tokyo because we're running out of time. Um, it's just uh, it can do in, in Tokyo. It's like I, I explained to somebody. It's like trying to go to imagine New York City, Philadelphia, Boston, um, and Washington D.C. and they're all within a five mile radius, and you want to do everything that all those cities have to offer. That's what it's like. Yeah, that sounds like you would be trying to do a lot. So, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you had a great time. I'm glad you have experience. I mean, I mean, I have, you know, not trying to, definitely not trying to make this me. I've had the pleasure of, uh, you know, going on a lot of wrestling trips. And, you know, people always like, you're lucky, lucky, lucky. And I always say it. I'm not lucky. I work hard. So when I see someone that is close to me, uh, goes, you know, work hard. I know how long you were saving. I think you were saving for at least a year and a half, right? Um, so, um, we, when we finally made the decision, it was in March. No, I take that back. It was in February, February, 2023 made the decision. And we were like, we're going to do this. We had, we already had some money set aside for spending, but literally every for six months, I was paying $1,100 a month to pay off the hotel and the airfare for my wife and I. And then once we got like, I think once I'm for September, October came, that's when the new Japan tickets came out. And then right after that, the stardom tickets and then the, the fight tickets came right after that. That was the other thing I forgot to mention is if you go, um, the new Japan, it, and this is very important. Like new Japan does a thing for foreigners where you're able to purchase your tickets through the New Japan World Shop. The reason why that's, and you have to be a member of New Japan USA to do that. The reason why that's important is because it is extremely difficult to buy tickets in Japan. Like, like I was looking up, for example, like their, the um, New Beginning in Osaka. Well, you, the way you buy tickets is you can buy them online, but you have to pick them up from like a 7-Eleven or a Lawson's in Japan. And that just seems like, well, I'm in America. How am I going to get my tickets? And how am I going to know when I get my tickets? It's kind of a problem. Um, stardom was stardom and rising was the same way. Like it was difficult to get tickets because I was a foreigner. Fortunately, New Japan and Stardom was sold through the New Japan Roll Shop, and Ryzen had opened up for that show an international way for international fans to buy tickets. But um, that's why for that week, like you really need to do your investigation. I hit up everybody. I think I hit up Chris Chris Charlton. I think I hit up Stu Fulton, who covers, uh, who I believe covers Pancreas, and um, and I think All Japan, if I'm not mistaken, like Pancreas, Pancreas, whatever. Um, to try to get information about how all this works, like it was 
like it was just a lot that you know trying to get those tickets like i said fortunately new japan had did that which was a huge convenience because all i had to do was bought it in america and once i got there i showed them my here's my email that i bought the ticket and they gave me my ticket that is awesome sir uh that is awesome great sounds like you had a great time you've you've already talked to me out like you you want it's like one of your favorite places after uh ireland and you can't wait to get back so i am excited for you and i'm looking forward to next time hopefully next time when you go i can go with you uh we'll we'll try to work that out but yeah that was jr's trip to japan thank you for coming on again austin was in orlando doing the disney universal thing so he had a good time we'll actually we're going to talk this is not going to become a travel podcast but we are going to talk about uh austin's trip to orlando next week on the show uh we're also going to probably talk about a few things about what he missed from this week and what he thought he sent me a message on what he thought about the young bucks but i definitely want to keep that for next week because you know i didn't want to set jr off no just kidding uh but thank you thank you again uh you know this is no different than what we do every night honestly tonight was just us pressing the record button and if you like this uh, i would love to do more of this i love human interest pieces which is what this you know this is i love talking to people about their experiences and their lives just you know i love AEW, and i will always the show will always focus on AEW. that's not changed but sometimes when we get to do this add a little something something to the show uh, hopefully some of you like it. Like I said, that's why I gave you the out after the AEW stuff. So you didn't feel like I was keeping you hostage, but uh, me and JR had a good time. JR, you got anything else you want to say before we uh, get out of here and let people go on with their evenings or days I, I, or whatever time they were to listening. I, um, as we're recording, which I believe today is January 18th. I hope you all have well, January 18th for me. I hope you guys all have a good start to your new year and new year's resolutions. Uh, keep that momentum up as we get into February, which is only 13 days away. And, um, you know, wish you all a happy, go lucky weekend. All right. I, all right. So that's it. Uh, that's it for the show. Um, we don't got really any other, other news and notes. Uh, we'll discuss everything next week if we missed anything, but I want to leave you with this. It is January 19th here in Central Town, 18th in the West Coast. We're only 19 days into the year. People are like, oh, my New Year's resolution is outside, uh, outside the window. My plan for the year is always gone. No. It's not the case. It's only 19 days. Even if your first 19 days sucked and you didn't even do anything you planned to do on the first 19 days of the year, you still have like, uh, this is a leap year, so it's 366 days. So you still have like 347 days to get right. And if you want, if you want to get support or whatever, reach out to your friends. Shit, shoot me a tweet. I I am in a constant, I've lost a lot of weight, but I am in a constant struggle of eating healthy, trying to maintain my weight, trying to get down to my ultimate goal weight. That's always something I struggle with. Always. I know I'm, I'm positive, but dude, another thing positive about me is positive how much I fucking love food. So it is, you know, eating stuff you don't want to eat, working out and all that stuff that's all tedious. Uh, I, you know, I'm focusing on weight loss, but whether it's money management, getting a better job, starting school, congrats to my wife who just went uh, started college again. Uh, whatever you decide to do to make your life better, understand a bad 19 days does not have to bleed into the other 347. Start tomorrow like it's the new year. Uh, you know, the, the next day is always a fresh day to start. Right then is always a fresh day to start. Again, you ever need any support? 
at Floyd Johnson Jr. on Twitter. You think I'm joking. You think, oh, man, he's just saying that. There's nobody I won't talk to. You want to talk to me about wrestling? You want to talk to me about losing weight? You want to talk to me about life? Hit me up. I'm always open. My DMs are open. But if you get stupid, you will get muted or blocked. I'm just saying. It's 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 it is, This is not a three-strike-you're-out thing. It's a one-strike-you're-out. So keep it PC. I am a very, very married man. Not that anybody wants me but you know we uh we try to keep we try to keep it above board so i thank you and i will leave you how i'll always leave you whether it is home work or school always do your best to be elite get well soon kenny <laughs> <laughs>